What's up and welcome to another MoGraph MoCast. I'm Dave. And I'm Matt. And joining us today is our good friend, the CEO of Otoy, Jules Erbach. Pleasure to be here, guys, as always. And MoGraph is a supplement to our site, MoGraph.com, which is a motion graphics tutorial site with tutorials, plugins, podcasts, and other MoGraph stuff. And on the show, we talk about everything ranging from motion graphics to Cinema 4D, After Effects plugins, render engines, doing business, doing taxes, being a contractor, or working for the man. You can email us, info at MoGraph.com. Let us know what you think about the show, questions, comments, concerns, queries, grievances, artist suggestions, show topic ideas. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, MoGraph.com, and all the things... Check us out on there. Send us your questions. It can be new, but can be expert. It doesn't matter what it is. We'll attempt to answer it. Jules is here. Yeah. Jules is here. <laughs> or or Kashum, as Kashum. I should say. <laughs> Kashum. You are in the Marvel Universe, which is awesome. It's and, crazy. Um, <laughs> if you're new here, uh, I am going to give a little info. If you're new, if you're just joining us for the first time... Uh, the way that we do the show is we talk about motion graphics and then the second half of the show or other part of the show, depending on how much we have to talk about, yeah. we will go into uh, crypto art and crypto and all that kind of fun stuff. So you're going to hear um, the Octane stuff first. And uh, the people that don't want to hear the crypto stuff, they can just turn it off at that point, <laughs> I guess. Um, <laughs> the um, we're, we're collecting questions. Here's the thing. Um, we do have a moderator today in the chat uh, just because we've got to be able to copy and paste these questions mm-hmm. and uh, like hold on to them so we don't miss them. So we are going to be uh, taking your questions. We've got the chat on slow mode today so that we can actually see what's going on. Um, and uh, so we are copying and pasting these questions. You will, uh, we will try and answer as much as possible. Um, some of the questions that are being asked might be something that we already are planning to address so mm-hmm. um just just hold tight there and we'll get to as much as we can dave has like um, 20 pages worth of notes of questions yes. to ask so yes all the notes <laughs> got the google doc going uh so so uh real quick before we get into it we have some week wrap-up things that we want to talk about we'll try mm-hmm. and make it real quick so we can get to the good stuff uh the procreate course is out if you if you haven't tried it mm-hmm. yet or you haven't bought it yet go ahead and get yourself that uh caitlin's course we are going to be doing a live special with her in a few weeks uh you can get info on that mograph.com slash live also scholarship winners ding 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 talk about the scholarship winners ding 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 we've got them uh man there were so many good entries and uh you know we gave it to the judges we narrowed it down and uh so let's start with the unreal scholarship winners we've got three winners in that category uh number one matt zipper number two dave i'm gonna pronounce this wrong i'm sorry sejono uh and number three uh hafid hafid reyes i hope i pronounced that right as well we will be contacting all of you Uh, i'm sure we will be contacting (laughs) you also an honorable mention for alejandro to to Barry, I probably said that wrong as well. The um, the honorable mention, and honor- if you got an honorable mention, you s- will s- receive the course. You just won't get the whole NFT attached stuff and all of that. So you still get to take the course, which is awesome. And in the Houdini category for the scholarship, John Paul Francisco, Cristobal Lopez, Patrick Ortman, and Graham Bucknell. Uh, you are the four winners. We did four winners in the Houdini scholarship. And then um, honorable mention, there's two honorable mentions for this one, Troy Wunderfall and Ken Heaton. So we will contact you. We'll get you all set up. We'll send you 
your NFT and your little uh, display that goes along with it with your certificate and all of that for your scholarship. So congrats to all the winners. Done. Congrats to all of y'all. Um, sorry it took us so long. We just wanted to extend it a little and make sure that everybody had a chance to enter. A lot of people were like bummed that they couldn't uh, enter. And so we had to do that extension. Um, and then one last thing to, to talk about here is the meetup that's yes. going on. Is this Saturday, right? Yes, this Saturday at uh, Brace Canyon Park uh, in Burbank. Um, it's from noon to six. Um, come hang out with a bunch of other MoGraph friends. You know, a uh, uh, big shout out to our sponsors, Otoy and Maxon, for sponsoring the event. We're going to have uh, a, a taco truck as well as a bunch of games, outdoor games like cornhole and frisbees. And we bought a bunch of hacky sacks and stuff. So it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. So come hang out with us afterwards. Uh, Otoy is hosting an after party, so you guys show up to the meetup in order to come to the after party to get your wristband, and we'll give you all the information there. But it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. So, yeah, me too. And uh, um, I really liked that Otoy frisbee that you sent. <laughs> you sent me a picture of the Otoy frisbee. It was pretty slick looking. Yeah, we had some. Yeah. Uh, we had some custom Otoy and Maxon mm-hmm. frisbees that uh, that will be given out at the the meetup. Yeah. So that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. So that's a pretty quick week wrap up, right? Yeah. We did that. Yeah, there quick. we go. All right. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right, let's get to the good stuff. Get to the We're good gonna, part, yeah. We're going to start with Octane Render. Hmm. You got this uh, Black Friday mega launch event going on. The first question I'm going to ask, because I, I don't think I've, I've seen the answer to this yet, is how long is this event going on? Is it over? Is it's it, not is over. It still it's, going? it's through Cyber Monday, which is technically today. And so I think yeah. uh, we cool. typically have these things going through midnight, uh, you know, GMT or something. It's midnight Cyber Monday, so... And there's a little bit of a grace period, so if you get your order in and it doesn't get processed, it's still fine. But yeah, it is through uh, through today. What was crazy to me is that uh, there's so much included. Mm. It's like it, it's ridiculous. And the 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 Grayscale Gorilla Plus subscription, yeah. like the one year, that alone is worth the price. I it, agree. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it was it was it's certainly a, a, a giant experiment to. What happens, you know, and Black Friday is a small window of time, so it's an opportunity to sort mm-hmm. of A-B test. What happens when you have all these things in a sub that is at this price and includes this much? And does that drive people to adopt this sub? And, and that's kind of what we're, what we're playing with here. Obviously, we're also making sure our partners, all of them, are, are, are remunerated. Um, but it, it is something that I was very proud. I mean, every Black Friday, we've tried to one-up ourselves with, you know, with everything, you know, with new versions of Octane, mm-hmm. new tech. But also just making the existing subs that we have more more valuable, um, better, you know, sort of a better value to users. And also within that Black Friday deal, right, we're discounting these subs fairly significantly. I mean, if you're paying for an annual studio sub, it's like 1395 euros a month amortized. It's pretty low. And that does include a full year of GSG if you get it through that deal. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those things, and probably I, th- I think some of the questions that we're seeing is what, what, what's included in the Black Friday deal and what persists after that. So we could talk about that a little bit if you think that would be relevant. Um, yeah. But there's yeah. There, a lot of the things that we introduced, for example, the kit bash stuff where you can get, you know, one kit bash pack a month. That's that that continues. It actually isn't necessarily related to Black Friday. You That will keep going as long as you have a paid sub. You can keep downloading those assets. And wow. we've done the same. Emergent now cool. is, is, you know, it basically even out of beta. We're including that in all subs. It's just you consider it part of the package sub. 
and we're also going to be bringing a version of World Creator that will work for all subs. It's not quite ready yet. It'll just be limited to exporting Orbex. But for the Black Friday deal, you can get the full version. So that was part of the Black Friday offer. And then with GSG um, and the Great Controller Plus, like, yes, that's over you know, after the Black Friday deal ends, but we may bring some version of that or some lighter version of that to all subs later next year. I mean, we're looking into that. We want to provide something so that even if you miss Black Friday, there's, there's other things. But everything that's outside of that World Creator uh, full version and the GSG Plus annual, I mean, those things are going to be in your, 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 your monthly subs at all tiers. Mm-hmm. And that's a big deal. So I think there's just a ton of value. We wanted to add more assets. Um, obviously, Kitbash is great. Our life stage assets are, again, really fantastic. These are scans that we've been doing for the visual effects industry for all the you know, Marvel movies. And so, you know, mm-hmm. we, we wanted to have yeah. a repository of these heads. Uh, and we can, I think we're planning to do about 100 of them. Clay's sort of in charge of that project. He's over there nodding. <laughs> um, and, and we'll release as many as we can as they get scanned in. So as you guys saw, we have a light stage scanner that we yeah. built actually in the office. So we can push you know, a lot through that. Uh, and we're looking Next time to, I'm in town, can I have you guys yes, scan me and then I was put me in the library? That'd Absolutely. be rad. Saturday. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. And yeah, uh, uh, a couple questions. Uh, people are asking, you know, when they'll be able to pay for the license with crypto nah. as well. <laughs> well. Hopefully. Hopefully, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not out of the question. I've hinted at it. I mean, there's certainly a, a world where, you know, we've already kind of are experimenting with usage-based licensing in the sense that Certainly on the Mac right now, on, on, on Metal and Mac OS, there's, you know, pretty much you can use Octane, all of it, for free. If you have a Pro Mac, mm-hmm. you can get an enterprise license if you want to use even the C40 plugin for free. On one GPU, you know, that's available. So there's that. And I think in the future what we may do is, you know, our subs are now getting to the point where it's, it's kind of a little bit out of date, where it's like having two GPUs in the studio sub. I mean, that's the equivalent of 10 GPUs four years ago, right? So... What, what may happen is we may just have something where, just like render itself is usage-based, we could look at that. I think that having a sub at the price points we have is still valuable, but there's no mm-hmm. reason why we couldn't accept some form of crypto or have you your, earn your, your sub by doing stuff, like by, by you know, being part of yeah. the render network, for example. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those are all possible possibilities, and we want to explore all of them. I mean, it's not like we're afraid to try crazy things out here, so that's definitely on the table. <laughs> I just don't have a timetable if exactly when, yeah. but you know, crypto yeah. and, and those things do move fast, and I think there's an appetite on my side to see, you know, how and when that might be a, a viable path. And I know there's a lot of questions, and I've seen them going around this weekend, you know, either in Slack channels or Facebook or whatever about, you know, like sub questions, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have such and such sub right now and I want to convert to this and that kind of thing. Where's the best place if somebody has a a very specific question about their sub, where's the best place for them to go to get to the right person? Help at otoy.com is absolutely the right send an email. Uh, Kevin and our support team, Kevin Yoon and the support team is you know, standing by literally every Black Friday. We know there's <laughs> going to be a lot of inquiries, so we prep for that. The team gets ready, and you know, we, we go through those inquiries as quickly as possible. And you know, we try to make things somewhat easier in that there really isn't much of a difference between the sub-tiers other than GPU power, right? So there's not like if you mm-hmm. get Studio Enterprise, you're going to get really anything different as far as these extras. Um, but there is a, a limited time offer on the Black Friday uh, deal, which is the, uh, and, and that includes those two pieces, the World Creator full version, GSG Plus. So, you know, those things, yeah, if, you're, if you are 
if you bought a Black Friday annual license last year, it should, as, as long as you renew it around the same time, you're fine. If you're on a monthly sub, talk to Kevin. We can figure that out to convert you to annual while the time, you know, while it's not for last. And I think those kinds of, those are the main questions. It's like, what if I'm on, you know, a monthly? How do I do this? What if I'm not on a, you know, on an annual that's at this cadence? We can sort of help with that. Um, but, you know, the, the rest of it is, is definitely, if you have something more specific, you know, talk to Kevin. Uh, and team at helpatotoy.com, and that's the best place to go. Cool. Cool. Now, as far as the Octane 2022 preview, mm-hmm. yeah. Of course, I'm most excited about Brigade. Yeah, we'll get I to that in a minute. I actually downloaded but the Brigade. Actually, no. Uh, let's talk br- about it. Now. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. Let's, do, let's I, talk I about it. I downloaded the Brigade bench installer the other day oh, and man. played around with it. Yeah. It is, that's it is so cool. super fast. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, well, it's funny. We never released that scene in Octane, but I have it. Um, and you know, with uh, with Rick, who created that beautiful scene, you know, we worked out like we wanted to have a demo. I mean, it, it is in some ways uh, the first time when we got that working. You guys came by the office and you guys saw it running yeah. live sooner than, than mm-hmm. this, but now it's sort of out there for everyone. And I think it's great. I mean, it just shows the promise of what we've been going after with Brigade for a while, which is we can do path racing, we can take Octane scenes, and, you know, they, there really isn't much noise. There's a little bit of noise. I'm not, we're not trying to make it a game engine. It's just meant to be mm-hmm. super fast. And, you know, we're at the point now where, yeah, like my, you know, 3080 Ti or whatever should be able to do 1080p 30, and one gen above that can do probably 1080p 60, and, and that's with a fairly heavy scene. That scene is not a lightweight scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that was that we struggled with with Brigade until 2022, right? Because now where we have this path, we want to basically make it so that there's no. If it's an artist, it's just one click. Like you go from path tracing to direct lighting. Now we have yeah. another one, photon mm-hmm. tracing, right? But then you just go to Brigade Kernel, and you'll get what's in that yeah. benchmark at, automatically. And that is working. Like we have that working in an internal build. It wasn't. It, it didn't make sense to put that out on Black Friday in the preview because it's there's a lot of testing we still want to do over the next couple of months. But it will be there sure. mm-hmm. by the time we get to release candidate one, you know, sometime very early next year, and then it'll ship with Octane 2022, and it works so far with everything. Now, certain things are noisier than others, um, but it's. I mean, you know, it's it's pretty it's pretty great, and the future for real time kind of begins with that brigade kernel because it is where. You know, everyone that's looking at this, what do I invest in in terms of Unreal and other things? I mean, there's a spectrum between real-time and offline rendering, but at least now, I think with the Brigade piece and having that just be a one-click, like everything just works in that, uh, you know, you can start to look at how you want to optimize your scene for real-time because there is the idea of using real-time to get to yeah. final quality or I want to do an interactive experience that just has everything that I can render in Octane, but it's, it's real-time. And so those are things we'll be addressing over the next year with Brigade shipping as a core part of, of the whole, whole staff. Yeah, I can see that really being like my workflow is mm-hmm. just having Brigade on in my viewport while I'm working just to get the look or whatever and to, to you know shoot out fast renders for a client or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And honestly, there's some types of projects where... You know, just that that's all you need. Yeah. You don't have to then switch over to, you know, whatever other kernel and do the long render. I mean, you know, there are projects that that's perfect for. So um, one of the questions, let's see, um, r- about render was the uh, we're skipping around a little bit yeah. here uh, is when it will integrate uh, C++ and OSL shaders. 
that's, uh, that's in, the Solana stuff. Solana. Yeah. Yeah. So but, I, th- I think that's probably a, a next year uh, piece. But we're, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that, that you, you can kind of already do anyway is obviously OSL shaders can be integrated in any scene you send to renderer, and that can be mm-hmm. run as a, as a job. And that's, of course, interesting for, for the future of, of crypto art, which we can talk about the, in the later segment. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, our, our work mm-hmm. with Solana, and I'll get into that probably in the, when we get into the whole later segment, is, is, yeah. is for next year. Um, not for the year after, so it's you know within the time frame of 2022, we want to have our you know our work on on Solana figured out and and provide basically the pieces that are relevant. Uh, and I think that for artists in particular, right? I mean, I get so many inquiries about how do I create a piece of art that can you can run on the render network, not just to get my frames back, but could, that could be triggered or that could be procedurally generated. I mean, that's just for the artist artistry of itself, right? People want to have that, right. and that's one of the reasons why we need a better blockchain system behind it so that we can do faster transactions and make all that work so uh, we can do, do a deep dive on that later but that's the quick answer is next yeah. year next year cool yeah. um, and, and Brigade will be in Unity and Unreal yeah. as well is that right it'll be in, okay. in every yeah. DCC plugin Photon Tracer same mm-hmm. thing so you know those two new kernels will be in everything it'll be in Unity it'll be in, in, in you know 3 Studio Max Cinema Blender all of it uh, it'll, it'll be everywhere and it'll it, for sure in Unity and Unreal the idea is you can use games that are running that brigade kernel and ship them, you know, and that's that's kind of the idea that we want to support. And then, you know, with render, it's, it, it, we, we do want to have it so that once you create those pieces, you can export not just Norbex for the static scene or something like that, but you can take your entire Unity or Unreal project and put that on the network, stream that in, run it in a browser, run it in AR and VR. That's also something we can talk about uh, in the next segment. But render is designed not just for offline, but also you know, really heading towards real time. Uh, art and, and experiences that can be hosted on on chain on the network. What about um, um, what about as as far as uh, Embergen being inside of some of these other programs like Cinema 4D? Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of this purist. Yeah. I just want to stay yeah. in Cinema <laughs> yeah. the whole no, time. I, I, I get it. it. It makes sense. So so I think Embergen. You know the, the the path that the JagFX team has been taking with Embergen has been. It's been sort of their their own journey to coming up with the best possible system and that we could then use to plug in. I think Embergen 0.75, which just came out not too long ago, is actually the baseline that we now have so that Ahmed and you know our C4D developer and others can start you know baking that into C4D. So that work is going to be starting, I think, in earnest in January. Um, and 0.75 is like a really big milestone that we just needed to hit. And yeah, mm-hmm. it will be. It looks beautiful. It looks, it looks beautiful. Great. And the Embergen team is working on some great stuff. I mean, by the time that we're probably at this point next year, I would say we'll have sparse volume rendering. They're also working on LiquidGen, which is really, really cool. That'll have liquids. Nice. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and, and I think that, that kind of after years of being like, well, you can use it in beta. We, were, we just, I, I worked out with, with him, you know, the Embergen team, like, let's, you know, let's make it part of this sub <laughs> for right now in the foreseeable future. And same thing with World Creator. Like, there'll be a special bespoke version of World Creator for the subs that you'll be able to use. And if you're kind of using our software to begin with, you're no toy subscriber, probably it'll be all you kind of need or will want to have for, for integration kind of within our, our system. But yeah, I think for Evergen, having that within C4D is pretty important. And then we at some point should talk about the fact that we've, you know, with Maxon's full support, we have this amazing license now, not just, you know, to, to Cinema 4D, but also to Redshift not just for render, but also for things outside of render. Um, and and those, are, those have major implications for workflows and things you could be experimenting with in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really excited about that integration, yeah. the, the announcement with uh, Maxon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was it last week or a couple of weeks ago, you know, 
including yeah. so uh, uh, this was a question that a, a couple people in our slack had as far as will people be able to send straight c4d files to render in order to render or will they have to wrap them in an orbex file first now we'll support straight c4d files as a drop-in oh. piece just because it's simple um, the one yeah. thing you'll want to do, just like you do now with, with, with the Orbex files, is you want, to, you want to run those C4D files in standalone to make sure that they render. But standalone will also support oh, wow, loading right. a C4D file. And that's it, amazing. That's cool. And even better, that's cool. the standalone, I mean, with, you, know, you won't be able to do much with it, but it will actually be able to right. bootstrap a version of Redshift and a C4D Redshift file and give you a, a preview <laughs> render with a watermark, but at least you'll be able to see whether the thing's actually looking right. Right. So even if you don't have right. Octane yeah. and you're not using Orbex, that's the, that's the kind of stuff we'll support. And so part of that, the crazy part of the license that, and, and all the assets that we had, and that's why it took so long for us to get this sorted out, is you know, in order to make render useful for people that aren't coming from, let's say, the O2 ecosystem, right? They're just, you're in C4D, you're using Redshift or maybe even Arnold, and not Octane and not, not anything else, then we wanted to make it so that those C4D files could kind of, because we want that validation piece. So the standalone is always a good thing to make sure that everything's there because right. you've got plugins and other things. So the, the, you know, the interesting thing to note about the C4D stuff is that you'll probably still want to be careful about how you export C4D because if you have, for example, a plugin that isn't on the render network, and right now we're just mm -hmm. adding renderers, we haven't yet figured out what to do with X particles and other stuff, um, we may have a simple tool that catches these things for you, like kind of what Orbex does. Mm -hmm. But I do think that, yeah, straight, straight C4D... Um, you know, even being able to test other renders within, you know, it won't be called Octane Standalone. It'll probably like render standalone is probably how it'll be repackaged. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that should mm -hmm. be something that we, we do want to get working, for example, on the iPad and on the App Store. Um, but yeah, it'll be as simple as that. And, and that means no exporting. Um, and we're also looking to do the same, you know, with Blender and Unreal files, because certainly with Unreal, exporting from Unreal to Orbex is, is painful. And we asked Epic to help us with that um, without even giving a reply back. It was like within two weeks, they, had, they put out Unreal 4.27, which has a full source code license that you can use for Unreal. And that's something we can leverage on the render network to then nice. deliver Unreal projects similarly. So we're looking at these, at these workflows where it doesn't have to be an Orbex, or if you need to, we can convert to an Orbex on the render network so you never have to do anything else than just upload your, your scene and use the fact that we can then embed these, these uh, runtimes inside of the standalone tool so you can at least validate that it's working and cut down on support and other issues before you send it to network. But that's all in play now. So does that mean that I could, so like one, uh, one problem I run into is exporting to Orbix from Cin Cinema 4D. Um, um, uh, there's been some amazing like uh, tools put out. We actually, actually uh, talked about those a couple weeks ago that help you get to Orbix much faster yeah. from C4D, but directly mm -hmm. going to, from C4D, I've had issues yeah. before. Does that mean I'll be able to take a straight C4D Octane file and yes. even yes. Uh, send it? Ah, oh, yes. I mean, that, that'll be working first. <laughs> I mean, it's going to take a little bit more time to get, you know, the C4D and Redshift going, but probably not much more time. Sure. So the idea is, what's interesting is that when you're looking at writing a, a render, like we did say that render will support all render engines, and you know, that was a serious mm -hmm. effort on our part because I do look at render as being a very different, you know, thing than just Otoy or Octane alone. I mean, it's a bigger ecosystem beyond us as a company. It's, it's decentralized and all yeah. that, but now you have several options. So our initial plan with the render SDK was, okay, you can build a hydro render delegate and that works. Like we asked how we got Arnold and even Cycles and Pixar and all these other things running. But now we have this license from Axon, which means if you have a C4D render, we could be able to just bootstrap you that way. That's how we're going after, you know, you know we're, we're supporting C4D plus Arnold plus, plus Redshift plus Octane, but it could be plus 
I mean, you know, standard render, you know, heaven help us pro render even, but you know, mm-hmm. it, could, it could work with, <laughs> there's multiple paths. And the idea with render is that we want to provide, we want to figure out really what's the best tool, you know, onboarding system to allow that. Now, granted, you know, the Cinema for the Engine is a black box. That's why Hydra, Orbex, these open source pieces are very important. But there's, there's you know, we, we also have to be practical. And, you know, years into render now, and, and certainly 18 months plus since the launch uh, out of beta, these are the things that artists need and want. And thank goodness we have had sort of the, the you know, the, the enthusiasm and appetite from Maxon to really help develop this, this integration in a way that I think uh, changes the very nature of how powerful render is and how easy it is for artists. Because that's one of the things, you know, we have so much GPUs on the render network. And, you know, we have a lot of artists, but we also need to make it easy for those artists to use the render network. And so I think having direct C4D integration. Yeah, and by the way, you can also put a C4D file in an Orbex. That'll work. That'll, that, that is an option. Cool. Not mandatory, though. But yeah, it's, it's a super exciting, game-changing moment for, for how we handle the whole ecosystem. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And super excited about the new uh, photon tracing. Yeah. The new photon tracing kernel. Like, yeah. That looks incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a list of all the new stuff here. We can go down because um, yeah. I'm sure people want to hear all about, you know, what's coming. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, if you've got the uh, a beta of this or whatever, you know, um, it's it considered experimental. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, don't use it in production yet unless you're <laughs> really ready to you know, go down that, that route. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, you've got, um, the photon tracing. Uh, tell us uh, a little bit about that for people who, I think we teased it at some point, mm-hmm. maybe on the, the last time you were on, but, uh, give everybody the lowdown on that. Yeah. So, so I think the caustics have always been a nightmare, honestly, and still are and were in, in Octane mm-hmm. because the, the nature of doing unbiased, uh, path racing is that, you let the laws of, of, of physics and light sort of run themselves, and you, you know it's already amazing how far we've taken that. But caustics, you know, caustics for those that aren't familiar, it's like the you know the, the patterns you see at the bottom of a pool or with a magnifying glass. Those things do require you to sort of sample light, a lot of light, to get those results. And if you just do that in an unbiased way, it doesn't really get you those things quickly. So the, the idea of doing a whole new kernel where we implement some of the best research and then do something better with it. I mean, there is something called um, Progressive photon mapping, which was kind of how we started down this path. Um, it's been employed in a couple of you know really good notations, like I think Corona has it. Um, and we wanted to make it so that you could use that, but it wasn't basically limited to just baking. We wanted it so that you can use this photon tracing system in the viewport live, so it doesn't feel like it's baking anything because it's it's kind of like baking and rendering at the same time, and it's using something called photon guiding, which is basically helping uh, you know unbiased renderers know exactly how to sample. So all those things combined in this specific kernel means that you can turn on a material like glass to say this thing is is now telling the renderer caustics are going to happen, and then you'll get really high quality mm. caustics. Mm-hmm. To the point where not only is it almost instantaneous, it's like a thousand times faster than caustics rendering before, but you would never get the kind yeah. of sharp caustics or quality ever. I mean, you could let Octane run for a long time. It just wouldn't have, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it would just be, it would just take too long to, to get those samples there. So we've solved that with this kernel and it's great. It's really easy to use. Um, so it's, it's super In exciting. comparison, how... How is the look in comparison? Like, um, for example, like there's a there's a distinct difference between like direct lighting and path tracing. Yeah. You know the two kernels. Um, is is the is this new kernel the the photon tracing one? Is it based more in a path tracing like the path tracing, or is it more direct lighting? It's path you know? tracing. So it's it's pretty okay. much path tracing plus 
the uh, the caustic. So you, you, you okay. if, if you're looking Rock for off. contrast quality, that's what gets that. And yeah, I mean, we, we we basically yeah, it's not it's not based on direct lighting. It's the full path tracing kernel plus this piece in there, and largely you know it's an additive layer on top of what's in the path tracing kernel already. Does it take any sort of render hit at all? Like, is it is the the render time hit? Is it minimal or even like what would be the point of me using path tracing when I can use this all the time if it's if it doesn't take any additional time? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's there's a slight hit, and that's something that we're looking into. I think it's more of a bug than anything else. So by the time that we're done with this, it may be that you we don't need the other kernels. Um, but you uh-huh. know, but there's a lot of projects that don't use this new kernel, so we didn't want to just sure you know. And, and, and until we really do sort of understand, and that's why we had to put out this experimental release, because we need to see what happens in real-world scenes, um, mm-hmm. you know, we want to have sort of, we want to split those pieces out, and we may at some point end up with, with you know, maybe one, you know, Uber path racing kernel, but I think for now, having them separate makes sense until we're, you know, we've completely isolated all the, all the use cases where there may be a variance. Um, but in theory, no, the speed hit shouldn't be, you know, should be minimal. Um, and if there is something major, it's probably a bug that we're, we can solve. So that's sort that's of where, amazing. yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling we're going to be getting a lot of caustic renders coming yeah. soon. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. The dailies are coming. Yeah. yeah. There's also, um, there's one more thing this does, which is interesting, which is you can kind of, in the earlier builds, and I'm not sure how well this works in the current version because I need to retest it myself, but you could do GI uh, this way as well. Like you could turn certain things on for, uh, you know, for using the, the uh, you know, sort of the photon tracer to do, um, you know, very unnoisy GI-like things that are kind of slightly biased. And I, I need to play with that a bit more, and we need to work on some samples. But that's kind of an option as well that this can open it up to. And in the earlier, you know, when I was making the videos a month ago, that was explicitly in this kernel. And we kind of took it out, but it can, it, it's something we may put back in as well. It's kind of an intriguing option to get uh, certainly very fast, noise-free spotlights. But I think the work that's ahead of us, frankly, is people are asking for how this can work with volumes, you know, volumetric caustics. So there's, there's that kind of work to, to sort of engage with there. But it's already sort of a, a game changer for anything that relates to caustics. And, of course, you'll see a lot. You, you're right. You'll see a lot of caustics rendering now that it's cheap, basically yeah. free. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 That's funny. You've also got the uh, standard surface material yes. coming. It's, yeah. like, it's like the universal material. This is, is this an Arnold thing? Is that right? That's yeah. the Arnold. Uh, so, Arnold unfamiliar uh, with material. it. Yeah. So, so one of the things that came out of, out of our collaboration with, with Autodesk and Arnold, you know, which, which was, you know, they, they were our first partner on the render network. So Arnold, you mm-hmm. know, for, for a while now, we've been internally testing having Arnold run on the network. And it was not just about getting, you know, Arnold on render. It was also about, can we actually make it so that we'll have a pretty similar pipeline? So if you switch between Arnold and Octane and potentially now Redshift, right, there is some basic industry standard system that we could be using. And Autodesk proposed standard surface, which is what's inside of Arnold, right? That's their kind of take on universal materials as a, as mm-hmm. a standard that could be adopted by the industry at large. And in order to get that to happen, you know, you have to have more than one renderer adopt it. So we're like, we'll be the second one. And I, I think that, you know, we've had such good feedback from, you know, maybe it's, it's not just Chad Ashley, by the way, people who like the way Arnold works, <laughs> <laughs> um, who like the way Arnold works. And, and, you know, in C4D and every, I mean, you know, it, it, there's some brilliant thinking behind 
those things. And so the second this, this preview is released, especially with the Arnold Standard volume in particular, like, oh, we love the way that this is set up. It's very intuitive and artist-friendly. So we're not taking away the old Universal material. It's there. It's, 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 it still is supported. There are things that it does a bit differently. But if you're coming from the Arnold workflow or you're learning about, you know, or, or, you, or you want to think about how uh, standard surface works. It's, it's a bit different, right? The way that it's set, you set things up with weights and stuff, it's a little bit more artist-friendly. It's a little bit less granular in terms of its complexity, but it can do a lot, and it's there now. So it's a, it's a, it's a material you know, pipeline that we have uh, enabled for artists that are coming from Arnold or that just want to you know, use that workflow. Um, it's, the goal is to try to get it so that if you, you plug in the same inputs into this as you would in Arnold, you end up with exactly the same renders. I mean, it's a bit hard to do that because there are just differences in the, in the renders. But at least the materials probably wouldn't have to be different. And you know, we're working with the Arnold team to sort of get a little bit more granularity in exactly the specifics of with how they're sampling BRDFs in Arnold so that we can try to get exactly the same results. And material libraries can kind of go out in one format it can work across multiple renders. And we're going to try that with Redshift as well. Like we can build, you know, they have OSL support, uh, which is pretty powerful in, in, in Redshift. So we can see if we can come yeah. up with a way to put out materials that work really well in all the renders that we could support, let's say on render, but also that would, I think, be of enormous benefit to artists and those putting out assets, um, you know, for, for our ecosystems. You've also got the oh sorry Matt no someone uh, that's an interesting question and, and I think I know the answer uh, uh, but so, someone asked will Arnold Jobs on render use CPUs as well um, oh yeah, yeah but I'm pretty sure it's work? you know yeah. uh, the whole it's GPU so it's yeah it's, it's, GPU it, and yeah. the reason why is that it's it's you know if you look at at, at the equivalent first of all there is no Redshift CPU and it's like we've done. A, a you know octane CPU thing and it's just ridiculous like it just doesn't even even well I mean I'll give you an example so we on, on metal right where we have both you know we have we have uh, Intel GPU supported we mm-hmm. have AMD GPU supported we have um, we, you know, we know how Nvidia runs we have Apple Silicon you know it's looking at the Intel integrated graphics like the, the integrated graphics part of that of the Intel chip is four times faster than using all the CPU cores it's crazy so for renders that are designed for the GPU world. Um, you know, you're just going to get better efficiency. Now, there is a modality where maybe, like, we could make it so that, like, your each CPU core is like one octane bench worth of, of power versus the hundreds that you get on <laughs> GPU, something like that. But I think you that, wouldn't make much render off no, of that. No, and, yeah. and it's, it's also the kind of thinking where, where with so with Arnold, and you know, we know that it scales really nicely on at least two GPUs. Um, not everybody has eight GPUs or 17, right? And, and, and not all the renders scale the same way. So the idea with these is, in work to that with, with, you know, frankly, the discussions with, with, with the Redshift team and, and Sin, you know, Maxon and, and the Arnold folks have been going for a long time. So it, the idea was that Octane Bench is our starting point. And it's pretty much like you're paying for Octane Bench time, but it's on us to make sure that that, t- you know, Panos was like, yeah, that pretty much matches to Redshift power as well. It's pretty, you know, it's fine. But what we'll do is that if, if, if an Arnold job isn't scaled to eight GPUs, we'll, we'll find two GPU nodes to send those jobs to so that it's, it's maximized. And I do think that, that Arnold GPU is now at the point. That's why we waited to announce it. Um, you know, Arnold GPU, I think, is practically has future parity with CPU. And, yeah, we're, we're a GPU rendering network. Um, it's, it just makes sense to focus on those kinds of workflows. Even RenderMan, you know, the, the old legacy yeah. render mm-hmm. is now has XPU, right? So there is a world where I think every render in the planet is going to have a, a GPU mode, and that's kind of what we want to right. try to, you know, engage with. Yeah. And you've also got the standard volume being introduced yeah. as well. And what's the difference between that and the volume medium, I guess? 
I think mm. there it's it's similar to the, to the difference between standard surface, um, and it's based, of course, on the Arundel standard volume. Um, it's similar mm, to okay. um, it's 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 in the same and for the same reasons we introduced both. So Arnold has standard volume, standard surface, and we're also going to be adopting uh, Arnold lights because they're they're really nice, they're simple to use. Cool. Uh, so you know we're we're just going through and and doing this piece by piece. Because I think that that's a workflow that's kind of been proven um, even outside of our sort of own ecosystem as being very artist-friendly and intuitive. So adding that on top of Octane and not taking anything away I think makes a lot of sense. And our, the initial feedback was that the standard volume, Arnold standard volume, is so easy to sort of imagine or think about from an artist perspective that that's, that's, that already feels like it's a great move to add that. You know? And so we'll, if artists sort of gravitate towards that, and you know standard material packs that are out there that use volumes can sort of stick with that. Um, I think you know Octane will render it perfectly, and and hopefully so you know any other render that adopts that that format, obviously including Arnold. So it's it's um, yeah those two are basically coming from the Arnold uh, workflow. As far as as far as workflow goes, like uh, say for example, you start using the standard volumes, and even once you get integrated the Arnold lights and stuff, will you need to switch over to that Arnold kernel within uh, Octane, or will it work within like just say standard path tracing kernel? So it, it's. I think that the standard path tracing kernel is basically Octane's standard path tracing kernel. When we should multi render, and this is somewhat different from having. Um, multiple renders on the render network, right? Which is a cloud rendering service, mm-hmm. or even standalone, sure. where you can sort of swap in other stuff. But multi-render is is a, 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 a almost like how we wanted to initially bring in Brigade, which is you can create a custom kernel, and that is basically a, a, a you know almost like a drop in from the kernel menu. We can do that through something called right. uh, Hydra, which is an API created by Pixar that okay. allows you to drop into the renders. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is, mm-hmm. it works. Like, I've shown a year ago, I had Arnold, like, literally switch between Arnold, and switch between Cycles yeah. and Pixar and all the Octane ones. And it works actually really well. The problem is the materials, Hydra does not, and USD, which is what it's kind of based on, don't define those materials that well. So that's where this interest of, like, well, if we, if we su- support a material system that Hydra can, can adopt, and that could be Arnold Standard Surface or Arnold Standard Volume, then what you're talking about will work through multi-render. And that's one of the goals that we had with the Arnold team was that if we can prove through multi-render that you can take Arnold Standard Surface, Arnold Standard Volumes, use multi-render, load in Arnold as a Hydra render delegate, not through SKU4D, not as some bespoke thing, and those renders look pretty much the same, then you're at that point. And that becomes then a challenge for other renders through Hydra um, to be able to you know, have that same sort of visual parity. And that's where that's going. Uh, the work that we've done with multi-render is complex. Uh, it's Hydra inside of every single DTC is something that is wild because not everybody, <laughs> not everybody has that. Like we bring that to C4D, it'd come to Blender, it'd come to Unreal, Unity. You could, you could drop in any render delegate. And, you know, Redshift also has a render delegate, right? V-Ray, all these, mm-hmm. all these engines have that. So in addition to that C4D path that we can load in C4D rendering engines, we also have this Hydra render delegate path. And that's where we started from with multi-render. That does need a standard material system and sort of we're, not, you know, we're sort of nominating the Arnold one as a, as a pretty good uh, starting point and of course most renderers now support OSL for procedurals so yeah. between that and somewhere on the list I mentioned that we're also adopting Material X which has now been adopted by the Academy Software Foundation which is pretty much you know pretty robust standards body group when they're finished with how they define OSL and Material X then I think we'll have that as our yeah, pretty good basis and I think standard surface and standard volume will still be part of that, that spec as well Mm-hmm. And um, the um, emission and the volumes is is updated as well, right? 
a black body yep. volume emission improvements. Yes, yeah. Um, there, that's sort of a bit granular, but we've we've been working on improving that. We also, I mean, I think as people were seeing in 2021, which is actually only went stable, I think a month ago. Uh, you know, we've been doing significant work with overlapping volumes. I think one of the big asks that's still out there is, can we have worse volume rendering that's even faster? Um, and, you know, in a sense, probably when we're done with the, with the Brigade Kernel, we're probably going to experiment with some of those things. I mean, it'll start with um, volumes that kind of look like they do now. Um, but we have some interesting options. You know, for example, we do have Embergen's entire rendering stack that we can adopt within Brigade, and that's one of the things we're, we're sort of experimenting with. Um, and I do think that, yeah, we, we, we want to get it so that the volume rendering pieces have the highest possible fidelity, the easiest flexibility with artists, and also the fastest speed. And there's a lot of thought going in there between, you know, what, what you want to have, let's say, in real time versus just absolute, you know, perfect fidelity, spectral quality, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is, there, is there a chance of doing something similar that you're doing with the uh, photon tracing kernel? Where you could do something similar to that with volumes? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely, I mean, so when we're talking about volume caustics, and, and as I mentioned, the photon tracer can even do surface-based, uh, you know, GI. There's ways of doing that with volumetric rendering as well. And I think once we get volume caustics working, then you can start to have the same effect be applied for volumetric rendering as well. And there is, for sure, you know, and one of the things we want to sort of experiment with, and, and the photon tracer is kind of the path towards that, is we're catching light. So once we're caching light, we can mm-hmm. do GI caches, right, with two different surfaces. And that could be something that could significantly accelerate, certainly animation and file rendering for, for volumetrics. Um, but what's cool about the way the photon tracer works is you don't feel any of that caching, right? I mean, essentially, you don't feel it. There's no baking step. There's no, like, final gather that you have to wait. It's not a two-step process. It, doesn't, mm-hmm. you don't, it sort of hides that really well and, and changes, the, changes that model somewhat. So we want to kind of go all the way towards nothing has to be baked um, and see how far we can get there. But yes, when we get to volumes, there's definitely a lot more work we can do and will be doing in terms of speeding up the results. And then there's also, it didn't make it into the um, sort of the preview of the roadmap, but we do have a new volumetric denoiser and a whole new AI denoiser in the works as well. Uh, we're actually working oh, nice. on integrating that into the metal version, which has been uh, lagging a bit because of the transition to Apple Silicon, which is a whole crazy you know, thing that, that mm-hmm. you know, upended a lot of stuff. Uh, with, with, with that. Uh, and I think that that's also going to help significantly where there's a lot of stuff with machine learning um, that we want to sort of re- rethink with you know, new AI denoiser models and, and the like, um, especially when we have things like photon tracing. Like we, we haven't really done any training with the new kernels or even with Brigade. Brigade's not using any of the you know, machine learning denoising. It has its own filtering to make it so mm-hmm. that it's as noise-free as possible, especially as you're moving in real time. But it could be improved even further as we you know, expand on, on those two new kernels more. Mm-hmm. Right, and there's a, a mesh to fog volume yeah. node yeah. as well. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so it, some of these things you can kind of do within you know volume builder and things like that. But I will I will say right. that the second right. we do something that's in the core uh, that also works in standalone or works outside of this you know the, mm-hmm. you know the, the DCC, it's so much faster and it's so much more efficient. <clears throat> so we wanted to make that essentially a custom node type so that we can essentially make that work. You know, with as low memory as possible and as fast as possible. And there's a lot of stuff, for example, with Vectron, where you could do all these crazy OSL shaders and procedurals, but the, the workflow for that has been, it's hard. You know, you need to have something that really shows how that works a little bit better, which is where we came up with Sculptron, which is where we're going with this sort of like, okay, take a mesh from, you know, from the, from the scene graph, feed it into Vectron, don't have to necessarily go through C40 to do that. Although what's crazy is we do now have the entire Cinema 40 engine 
inside of core. So that you know, we, we're not going to pop up the entire Cinema 4D interface, but we could still leverage, like the C4D noises will now work this way as well. Those will now show up in every DCC tool, mm -hmm. not just C4D. And in theory, nodes that are C4D based like that um, could also be used across DCCs and in a Rebex file. But in cases where we see an optimization on GPU, we want to have our own nodes that can make that work as efficiently as possible. And that's where that mesh to volume comes in. That also means mesh to Sculptron, mesh to crazy scattering pieces. And those are all things we also want to put out there as, as um, standards. So that Vectron, OSL cameras, which V-Ray just adopted, right? I mean, it, it'd be great if we can all use OSL and standardize on things like Vectron and cameras so that you just have this, you know, sort of cross-compatibility among renders. And now that a lot of renders have added OSL on the GPU, that becomes a lot more tractable. Um, well, whatever saves me steps, I'm, I'm happy about that, you know. Um, question, uh, real quick question. So I, I, I think as I was watching some of the, the stuff, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I, I think I saw someone using a Spectron or a Node or a Sculptron node yes. and double clicking and it opening up Sculptron. Yeah. Is that correct? Yes. So, oh. yeah, as like its own, that, I mean, that was crazy to me. Yeah. It, and it seems to me like uh, that could be something similar that you do with like Embergen or LiquidGen or something like that. 100% is that correct. kind of the thought? That is exactly the thought. So the, the reason why we've been starting with these, these modules, as I call them, you know, we announced mm -hmm. Embergen first. Sculptron is kind of our own internal thing that we developed. Um, we, you know, basically have this ability, and it doesn't matter whether it's in standalone, it could also be in Cinema 4D or Blender, to pop up um, any sort of interface for a node. So if, in other words, if you want to edit a node, you mm -hmm. can have it, you know, it could be QT-based. I mean, Ahmed's actually working on making it so that we can take even the things, the Cinema 4D nodes, right, and, and pop those things up um, inside of an interface. It's similar to what we're doing with, with Sculptron. Uh, yeah. Embergen, the entire interface for Embergen could be that way as well. So you could take sort of a, a node that represents a geometry or a scene or anything and essentially have a custom editor and a custom plugin for it. And those plugins are built ideally on the render SDK so that those get ported everywhere and they, those can be downloaded and they become not too different from an Orbex or packaged material, an OSL shader, and they could go into LiveDB and the like. And that's where things are heading. So it's super cool. And Sculptron, because we have that tool and it's ours to you know, mess with as we wish, it's kind of going first. But Embergen will be just like that. So you won't have to download a separate Embergen or World Creator app. It'll just be a module that can bootstrap its own window, uh, pop it up. Uh, maybe if, we're, if the DCC supports it, it could be embedded as a panel. But ultimately, you know, the, the actual node itself can give its own interface, expose that. And we can for sure do that with Blender as well. And we're also, mm -hmm. with Unreal, it's possible you might have the equivalent of an Unreal node where you can open up an Unreal project as a node in C4D or Blender. Gosh. And the reason why that's possible is that Epic, <laughs> without us even asking them to, put all of the entire node editor system in 4.27 as a library, right? Royalty free. So it's like, okay, um, that's a lot of work. We have a team on that, but it's going to, you know, that will be for sure a possibility. And I think with, with, um, you know, C4D, like we'll at least have some sort of basic node graph that, that can at least allow you to make sure those materials look right. But ultimately, it's super cool. That's, I think, the future of DCCs is interoperability. Is, it's like you're a web blowing browser. my mind. Yeah, and that's, that, that is insane. That is how the metaverse, yeah. editing kind of the metaverse, probably will have to work, especially when you're in AR. Uh -huh, you're not going to launch like a desktop app or whatever. It's like that's where. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're just trying to yeah. prepare for that and think about that and, and you, know, you know, create this holistic example of how it could work and maybe get some standards adopted and see if that 
see if that goes somewhere. But already, I think, yeah, being able to use Stoltron <laughs> within the DCC of your choice yeah. and not to you know, worry about that is really cool. And anything could yeah. adopt that. Yeah, I, I was watching that and I was thinking that it was similar to, uh, you know, in After Effects. After Effects, like the way, you know, Video Copilot does all yep. of their tutorials, like yep. Optical Flares. They just brings, or even Boris Effects, right. it brings up it, uh, its own thing within a plugin. Exactly. Right. It's crazy. That's awesome. That's yep. so cool. Yeah. Man. Like 50 steps ahead of everyone. I love well. this. <laughs> uh, another question that came up here, too, uh, and is is the 2022.1 XB0, is, is there a version of that for metal as well that's that's going to show up? Yes. Or just, it, it's, just it, waiting until... Yeah, okay. it's a few weeks out. I mean, so I actually was using okay. that myself long before we... we yeah, I got a CUDA version. It's funny because metal was working first. Um we should talk about metal and Octane X because there's so much to update on that as yeah. well. So, yeah. with, with, so yeah. the answer, first answer is tw- we're skipping. We skipped 2020.2 and we skipped 2021 almost entirely on, on metal for a number of reasons. Part of that is because well, we're at 2022 and we're close enough now where we want to have uh, features that weren't in the CUDA version. There are some things that were in Octane X, even if it didn't have exactly the same features as some of the later CUDA releases that weren't in the CUDA version or the Windows version for HDR viewports and other things, those are all now the same. So with Octane 2022, both Octane X and Octane Render on CUDA will be identical. I mean, identical features, Photon Tracer, even Brigade, even though, even though it won't have hardware acceleration with ray tracing hardware, um, fully supported on, on Metal, because most of the Metal APIs don't have that yet, it should work. And when 2022 RC1 or stable goes out, I mean, you know, it'll be on both. And, you know, we're, we're basically looking at that version as also where we drop, and because it's crazy on metal. Right now, Octane X, uh, with a 2020.1.5 feature, supports 2012 GPUs. Like, that old Trashcan Mac Pro can run Octane 2020, right? And mm-hmm. we'll be dropping support mm-hmm. for those older ones with 2022 and these new kernels. Um, focusing heavily on Apple Silicon, which obviously starting towards the end of next year is the only hardware that Apple will ship. So that is the yeah, future right. of the Mac. Um, obviously, we'll support AMD and to the degree we can Intel as well. Um, but those are not going to be in future Apple hardware. So for us, like the real you right. know, for, you know, forward-looking investment in time is what's, what's Apple doing with their own hardware. But yeah, 2022, we'll, we'll take that on and we'll also have... Um, you know, a lot of stuff going on on the iPad and on the phones. We'll, we'll, you know, that's where we're looking with 2022's mm-hmm. release. We'll have 2022 running on iPad uh, and iPhone. And the only reason why we haven't even put out a version yet is because, one, we want to get 2022 on Metal done. Two, there's interface pieces that we want to support on tablets that I think are important, and AR as well. Um, and that'll probably also mm-hmm. be reskinned as, as a render app because that'll also be a pretty important piece. If you want to use your one GPU on even... You know, the MacBook, the free App Store version of what we now have is Octane X standalone, will be your, your free way of sort of like playing around with your render setup and sending things to the render network. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that's, that's an interesting, you know, exploration. Obviously, Apple's, you know, done a lot of promotion and featuring of, of Octane and Octane X, um, you know, especially recently with the Keynote. So we, we see that ecosystem, and I think they do as well, as being... You know, professionals looking to have a, a tablet or a, a laptop that's incredibly powerful, I think Apple Silicon is stepping up to the plate in incredible ways. So we want to make sure that that works. And there are issues that maybe some Mac users have now, like how do I set up network rendering to a PC? How do I add extra GPUs? It's not quite a thing on Apple mm-hmm. Silicon. So 2022, the, um, I think it's going to be in 2022.2 because it's just going to be too hard to squeeze it into Q1. But that will have mm-hmm. interoperability between Metal and CUDA through network rendering. 
Uh, and then you'll have essentially no difference between a network render node on Metal, on CUDA, you know, your iPhone, your iPad. Yeah. It'll all be, you know. Yeah. And, and also, that's probably also where we're going to support, um, you know, render nodes, you know, for the, the render network on, on Metal as well. I mean, that feels like that's going to be the release where that becomes uh, pretty viable. And the idea there is it's an app that, that lets you run it as a mm-hmm. node, you know. Question and about yeah. real quick. Can I uh, interrupt? Sure. Question about you talked about the the Apple event. You know, yep. um, I'm I'm very curious with the she was in 64 gig unified uh, uh, RAM. Like that's that's insane to me in comparison. Like I've got two 3090s NV linked, and that only gives me 48 gigs of yeah. VRAM. You know. Like it, with I, I'm I'm gonna assume eventually only. they're gonna come out. I'm sorry, what Dave? Only forty eight. Only forty eight gigs, right? Yeah. But you know, I'm I'm gonna assume you know the the they're they're gonna have new iMacs or something with these new sixty four gig, and it's like I, I I don't know. I'm I'm curious about like you know speed like is that have you have you guys seen a, a speed and octane bench <laughs> scores on some of these you know new uh, uh m1 max uh uh unified gpu yeah. cpu stuff i have one right like, next to me right i have the m1x i bought it i, I fully loaded uh and yeah it's it's i was you know it, it is 64 gigs um there's uh you, you can it, it's crazy i mean i basically am loading scenes on that that i can only Truly, kind of you load on an A6000, right, which is 48 gigs mm-hmm. of GPU memory, and this has more. Uh, where, where I see this going is, and this is really the first time Apple has gone beyond the M1, right? The M1 was 16 gigs, by the way, on the iPad, which is crazy. That's more than a lot of GPUs have on the render network. And, you know, there's right, no doubt yeah. that you're going to see 128, 256 gig GPUs coming out of this. I mean, I, I don't know, I can't say when, and I don't have any special knowledge of that. I mean, I was. Pretty much, mm-hmm. I, saw, I saw the CT4 Geek thing not that long before it was, was publicly announced. And that's, that, you know, but I mean, I can see where this is going, as can anyone. I mean, Apple is, is not even at the halfway point, really, of, of converting their entire lineup to Apple Silicon. So you have to imagine by the time they get to the pros and the real desktop machines, you're, you're going to be seeing multiple Octane benches over what we have, multiple VRAM configurations. And yeah, the rough Octane bench of, of the M1X is somewhere in like the 200, 220 range. Depends on, on the scene. We haven't, you know, we we also want to get to the point where twenty twenty two, you know, two is is kind of there for both CUDA and Metal, and so that we can do an Octane bench that's identical with the same exact version of Octane across both. But you know, it's not like I didn't put out the scores, you know, almost two years ago, right, showing exactly what each Octane bench score was roughly. But I think that you know, in the mm-hmm. sake of fairness to Apple and and even to Nvidia, like I feel like there's there's a benchmark that's official from us should be the same version running the same scenes the same way. With or without, gotcha. you know, RTX. Yeah. And that's what, so I think with Octane 2022.2, where we have exactly that, and network rendering, all that, then you'll see the same Octane bench out there. And I don't know whether there'll be any sort of hardware ray tracing support on, on the metal side. There may not be, but it'll be, you know, it'll at least be able to be comparable to the RTX off-speed or RTX on, it won't matter, because they'll, it'll be in the right. same mix. But two, 200 and something Octane bench on a, you know, on, on a, on a, on a mid-range laptop, which I think this is, I mean, this thing runs for a long time. It's got very low power. is pretty great. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you imagine double that, you know, and, and double the memory, and you're at 500-something octane bench or close to that on a MacBook Pro in 2023 or something, I mean, that's pretty amazing. Um, and that thing can last for, you know, 11 hours on, on, on batteries. I mean, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So. Now I have a whole section here. Let's we'll, we'll go ahead and get to this because it's a perfect time for this. Is the 2022 
5.2 roadmap. Um, if you're just joining us, by the way, uh, we're we're Hello. taking these questions <laughs> down. <laughs> we are we are copying and pasting your questions into a giant list. Uh, some of these things we are going to be mentioning at some point anyway, uh, and then we'll kind of circle back around and, and see what we've missed here. So let's talk about 22, 2022.2 yeah. roadmap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's go down the list of some of the things coming up here, and we've got some questions in here as well. Um, first of all, three times faster particle rendering. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of work that we've been doing piece by piece since RTX was announced, right, that allows us to move things that were previously done in CUDA literally onto ray tracing hardware, which is obviously significantly faster. So we couldn't get particles fully ported over to that until 2022, and it's not going to make it into 2022.1, uh, but it's so close that it'll probably be one of the very first things that we roll out in the first 2022.2 release. And that means that if you have particles that are moving around, they'll just render, you know, it's like it's not quite three, it's like 2.7 times faster, but it's, it's a significant speed up. And mm-hmm. it's a little bit like the hardware motion blur that, you know, whenever NVIDIA adds specialized hardware that we can leverage uh, in ray tracing hardware, it's, it's going to get you some significant speed ups. I mean, two, two to five X is not crazy, but certainly two to three X is, is the norm when we see specialized ray tracing hardware take over for something that we have to use compute uh, regular GPU cores to do currently. And that's, that's what we're seeing with this particle increase. So that's for, pretty much first up for the um, 2022.2 update. Um, and the next thing that's on that list is multi-render. So we're going to have our first in- integration yeah. of mm-hmm. loading in hydro-render delegates. Um, the brigade, separate brigade that you guys have, pl- have seen in the actual uh, brigade bench is an actual render delegate. Before we committed to just bringing in brigade deep into, into Octane and just shipping it that way, well, we did develop this as a render delegate so you can plug it into anything with or without Octane being in the middle. Um, so it'll be able to load, again, almost Turing complete. It'll load in through, through this system. But, yeah, we're going to have support for Cycles, Arnold, Redshift. Um, and then we also want to support where we can, um, you know, other renders that are kind of like, like adjacent to, to, to Hydra rendering. But because we have the source code, like EV and Unreal Engine are not impossible to support through the system. And Unreal wow. is, is the most likely one because we have... A really crazy integration. I mean, if nobody's used the Octane for Unreal, which is now going to be like the, I guess, the Otoy or the Render plugin for Unreal, I mean, you can import. You don't just get an Orbex proxy. You can import Orbex. You can do all these crazy things. And because mm-hmm. we have full source code Unreal and we actually have, you know, a willing, you know, partner with Epic to do some crazy stuff, I do see us, you know, figuring out how to have all of Unreal inside of the core using this sort of multi-render system to try to get that going. And we'll see. I mean, that's one of the you know more ambitious pieces we have for that. But any any render delegate, including our own anime render, which is a render delegate, you know, people ask. I was going to ask you about that. That's yeah. that's the thing. I think we could ship the render delegate already. It just felt like uh, there's already so much in this in this update that it's better to give it another couple of months. <laughs> um, and there's a chance we may also take the same thing we did with Brigade and just bake it into the core of Octane so it doesn't rely on a render delegate. But it'll have both, right? So supporting render delegates is important for the larger ecosystem. But we also are going to load these render, hydro render delegates for, um, you know, for these for this public interface into the core of Octane or into the core of our plugins, and certainly on render. So that'll be in twenty twenty dot two. And you can network uh, network render in- interchangeably. Uh, at that point between yeah. metal and basically yeah. everything. Yeah. Now you will see that in certain cases like with Arnold like you, when I was doing that demo you saw the Arnold um, watermark pop up so you'll have to have a, like mm-hmm. your, bring your own license will, will have to be the case. Um, right. You know but in the case of um, 
for example, how Redshift works on, on render, and even within, to some degree, the, the, the preview window that we have for Redshift within the render you know, core or the, or the render app, uh, there is the idea of using usage-based licensing. So because render itself, for offline renders, is using UBL, I mean, we're certainly looking at having UBL as an option. To, you know, that's essentially what you're asking. If you pay in crypto, well, I'm sure if you pay USDC or something that's, that we can sort of turn into a UBL thing, there's probably ways of you know, turning these things on, and we want to explore that. Uh, as you know, for 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 live IPR, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're saying, like, basically, uh, say I've got an Arnold scene or something, and I don't actually have an Arnold license for it. Uh, the usage based license, basically, you could say, okay, I I want to use this for a render. So, say for example, would you pay like a premium over what your normal render cost would be or, in order to cover that Arnold license? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. And and that's, that's also cool. that that is pretty much how how it will work for, for for Redshift because to use Redshift on the render network, presumably you will have to have a, a Maxon Redshift license to create the artwork, and mm-hmm. presumably the same thing is true for Octane. But effect, effectively, if you download the, 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 the what's going to be the render app, uh, or use the render website, mm-hmm. and and we we you know we're playing around with just eliminating the subscription layer because the layer that we charge now for subscription is to cover bandwidth, storage, and support. But render is meant to be a decentralized service, not limited to just us. And at that point, um, you know, we, when we do a Redshift render, for example, it is a UBL. There is that, that factor added into the cost plus the Octane bench. Uh, so it's equivalent to shipping and handling, right? Uh, and that allows it so that you don't have to plug, type in your, your Redshift license to use render on the render network. It's just, you know, Redshift Maxon makes their money by having a fee that's added on there. As could anything on the render network. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could also do the same, and, and you know, we, we cover that in a sense through the subscription layer. But in order for render as an ecosystem or a platform to evolve, you need a payment system. If somebody wants to create a service for rendering and not go through Otoy or figure out their own PC ideas, you can create a charge and and build users for that. And that's kind of the model that I think is going to is going to sort of exist on the render network, and especially as the render SDK evolves to allow not just other renders, but entire apps, modules that you're seeing now with Sculptron, where you can plug in an entire little mini app. I mean, we're bundling as many as we can in the Otoy subs that we have, but the idea is that it's even way beyond that there's a UBL model for those that makes all of those you know, small developers more money than trying to sell direct you know, or go to subs or whatever. And that's, that's what we're trying to sort of engender with this uh, larger ecosystem plan render. Cool. And the the headless rendering thing is something yeah. I'm really excited about because I'm glued to my desk all the time. Yeah. You know, I'm working from home and stuff. I would love to take my Mac laptop with Cinema 4D downstairs, mm-hmm. outside on the patio, load up a scene, enjoy the fresh air. And then meanwhile, all my 3090s here are like doing all the heavy yeah. Yeah. rendering. You know, it's hot upstairs, but I'm downstairs where it's nice and cool. Yeah. With the headless, re- with the headless rendering, does that also mean that, like, say I could... Um, I could tell my main machine not to use its GPUs at all mm, yes. and instead only use my that's awesome. So, okay. That's cool. So the way yeah, that really the cool. way that it's going to work and, and you know, we've announced I mean there are things that people that are following our roadmap know that certain things get pushed out sometimes a while. Because what we do is as you guys are aware and as probably many people that are you know users, I mean, we look at the like what's the top ten, what's the top twenty and you know we prioritize that every month practically, and we just make sure yeah. that we don't miss mm-hmm. that. Headless rendering is important, but it has never quite gone ahead of some of the other things that made it into that into the top ten sure. for 2021.
But it also was the reason we had it working at one point for 2020. Like it was actually up and running. We showed version. The reason why I didn't ship that version was one, it wasn't quite going to work the way we needed it between Metal and, and, and CUDA, so we needed to sort of get that problem solved. But two, it still did Imager and the denoising locally. And that's something that, you know, like if you want to do the denoising, let's say on the GPU on, on the other system, and you got nothing, right? And we're at the point now where on Apple Silicon, we don't have AVX2, which is what we need to do uh, the AI denoiser. You know, I, I wanted to make it so you could just do the whole damn thing on the other node and zero, zero on the on the on the master node. So we built that system. It's based mm-hmm. similarly on how the Blender integration works, where you can just run Octane server and you can then have Blender just do nothing but send data back and forth to the Octane server. So what will happen with 2020.2 is we'll have a, a module similar to how we're building modules and plugins for, in the core for other things that'll essentially be like a remote control node. You, you have a render target, you have a geometry node, anything, and you can send that to another instance of Octane. It could be the, the node, or it could be, you know, probably we'll have one sort of you know run Octane headlessly. And just you know, operate that as a as a network node renderer, uh, or operate that as a net render node. I mean, they're, you know, locally or, or from the render network. But you'll be able to sort of plug into that and send all of your rendering to that from multiple DCCs. And even the hub aspect of that, if you basically send C40 and Blender to that same hub, you could be able to sort of see both scenes in one thing. So it is a, a network you know, protocol that can run even over the internet and do live rendering. So you can boot up a node on the render network. Um, just to, not just to do an offline render, but to do a live render, and your GPU locally does nothing. It just sends that traffic back and forth. Hmm. So that'll work everywhere. It'll it'll just work based on how fast your network is. So that's is is that similar? Is that similar to like you know uh, purchasing like a, a AWS you know node or something to where you can run that additional machine or something? That's I mean that's blowing my mind that you could you there's there's yeah, it's a lot you'd easier. have the ability to scale up using the render network in your live viewer. Yes, in your live viewer. That, that's, that's exactly so that's exactly what that would do. And and yes, you could do that on geez. AWS. We, we we you know and and the other thing is what's interesting is that you could also make it so that the the Octane standalone interface is in a web browser and it just plugs into this as a stream. But for for the most part for mm. users, so this is where we're going with with, with rend, live rendering on the render network, right? Before we go into and yes, we can take your Unreal and Brigade app and do live streaming. Mm-hmm. What people may want is just to have you know if there's a, you know a thousand Octane bench out there, you want to have that in your live viewer, even on a MacBook Pro which has two hundred fifty. Why not? And that's something that that'll work locally, and it'll work on the render network. And in order to get to work on render, the render network, we're going to have to have higher availability of GPUs. But we have so many people on the wait list that the second, sorry, yeah. um, <laughs> every time we had to call on Skype, it, it it sort of seems to. Am I still there, by the way? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're here. Thank goodness. Okay, um, I actually turn on do not notice. Um, you know, it basically, <laughs> uh, you know, when, when we're, if you're on the render network and we, we have enough of those GPUs, we can then let people say, okay, I'm online. Right now, those node operators have to wait to get a job in. Um, what, yeah. we, what we want to yeah, do yeah. Is, is make it so that anyone that wants live viewing pays maybe a slight premium in Octane Bench, but also, if you don't have to buy even a single $2,000 GPU to get that kind of compute power, why not? If you're on an That's iPad exactly or That's exactly what I was yeah. thinking. Yeah. And, and I mean, studios. This is this is huge for scalability with studios and stuff like that. Anyone who right. needs who needs more, like the only. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's, that's that, excited. I am excited. That is that's that's a huge that that's a huge that gives that's a huge implication on the workflow for the future. You know, being able to utilize other people's GPUs in in order just to see your live 
your live render. That's crazy. Yeah. So the next step from that is now imagine you had um, now. I mean, you know, so we, we get that working, and that's important, right? The next step is what happens when you want to have an experience. You want to create a walkthrough. You want to have. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a piece of, of your artwork that's available for people to experience. And there's a lot of Octane artists that are kind of looking at how do we get this into Unreal or GLTF or something. And this will solve that too, mm-hmm. because once those nodes are available to do live rendering for artists, I mean, you know, if there's extra node power, and there certainly seems like there will be, then you can run an, an instance of, of, of something that just allows people to connect into your scene. It's, you also do Twitch-like stuff, right? You're editing your scene. You have this node that's, that's streaming stuff into it. It can also be broadcast to others. But similarly, you can then turn that into its own thing. It's available. You know, you created this, uh, this walkthrough, like the Starship Enterprise, for example, which we're working on for the Roddenberry Archive. Not an NFT, mm-hmm. just, just for museum-quality experiences. Um, then those live nodes could be used to deliver Brigade or Unreal or anything along those lines on demand. And, you know, that's something that maybe the, the person that owns that experience, you know, has to charge for because there is a cost to that. But it can also be paid for in other ways. And that's where the render network itself has such vast opportunities because it's, it's certainly possible to have, um, you know, GPU power completely diffused so that whatever you want to do, if you want to have you know, more GPU power for your viewport, for your final renders, for the experiences that you publish, for the metaverse, right? Um, we're, you know, we've, we've t- you know, totally flipped that model on its head. I mean, the fact that you can't even get this kind of compute power even for any price, frankly, on AWS or, or you know, Azure. I mean, they're part of the render network. They're partners. But there's just not enough GPUs. There's, there's millions mm-hmm. out there in the render network. And there's, frankly, you know, probably you know, tens of thousands on the public cloud. And they're not all yeah. you know, hardware, high-end ray tracing cards like the 3080s that we, you know, we have today on the majority of people's uh, you know, artist workstations. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get to the, the render network stuff or more of the render network stuff, uh, just two quick things uh, for the 2022.2 uh, preview here. Um, there's a note here about rest position support for Houdini, and I honestly, I don't know what that is, but it sounds interesting. Yeah. So it's, it's our number one. So a lot of Houdini users have come back and said, we, we desperately need this. What it means is that you essentially store the, um, you know, if you're doing sort of mesh topology changes somewhere in the shader for that geometry shader that you're building, let's say you're doing displacement, you can store the original position or the original vertex data, even as it's transformed. Mm-hmm. So you can always re- reference it. So if you're doing blend shapes or transformations, you don't lose that in subsequent frames or in subsequent shaders. It just gives you the ability to then look at what is, what is the original vertex map or vertex data for this asset as you change it in the future. So it's not, it, you know, that's, that basically, that input has been missing in Octane. It's mostly because, you know, it's just a lot more memory and we haven't gotten to it yet, but that is what that feature will, you know, will do. And it's really important for Houdini. Tons of Houdini artists have asked for it and it's been pretty high up on the list. Mm-hmm. The other thing we're going to be doing is we will have a new IPR for Houdini that will be based on Ahmed's uh, C4D node graph interface that's going to go into the core. Oh, so cool. kind of like the, you know, like the, the, the Sculptron or the Embergen pop-up window, we're going to have our own sort of IPR standard you know, node graph, and even the C4D nodes that you create in Cinema 4D now with this, the Maxon integration, you'll be able to at least see those um, as well. And I think that'll make the Houdini experience um, visually, graphically a lot better. And, you know, Wancho, the uh, Houdini developer, has actually been collaborating with, with Ahmed on getting that started as we get those, those pieces going in earnest. So that's exciting. Awesome. 
And the last note that I have here is that you got light light path expression, OSL imager nodes, and lens effects. Yes. Ooh. So as well, the lens effects sounds really yeah. cool to me. So yeah. we did some I'm really cool. Yeah, that. me too. Right, so we did a ton of stuff with, um, uh, you know, the uh, the OSL shaders for doing things like Vectron. Basically, you know, in order to be in order to create your own filters, we added something in 2021. Um, and even a little bit in 2020.2, which allows you to have a compositing node. So in other words, you can do uh, multi-light or, you know, sort of light, you know, sort of the light, uh, you know, blending and all that stuff in post. So the idea, instead of having, you know, specific image or nodes, all those things just become the same as texture nodes. And we add and extend that so that you could do things like lens effects. You can write your own OSL camera shaders that can do that. But what we ended up doing with the universal camera was kind of taking the best of what you could do and giving you a you know, super camera with that. And we want to extend that so that you can have a bunch of plug-in nodes that can go into the universal camera, that can do post effects, that can take all these compositing layers. And when you get Brigade in there, it's not just the Brigade kernel that's going to be in 2022. It's going to be there's going to be a full GPU compositor that'll be super fast and super powerful. So you can then take, I mean, even things mm. from other renders, like we get Arnold working, and I showed this, right? And you're running Arnold mm. at the same time, or Redshift at the same oh. time. You can take the volume pass from one, mix it with another, use Z-Depth. Yes. All those OSL shaders, though, will work across all renders. That's awesome. Including ones that you render remotely uh, with headless rendering. It's super cool. And imager nodes will also just allow us to do fairly simple, um, you know, effects that have kind of been sort of possible with hacks, but now, you know, we want to have, you know, really good chromatic aberration and other things. And that's what that feature mm -hmm. is designed to support um, pretty explicitly. Um, and then I'd say there's one other you know, feature here, memory stability. It's been, it's been a work in progress. We've been improving mm -hmm. stability a lot. 2021 has a lot of stability over even 2020. But 2022.2 .2 will have a full new memory system for out-of-core, for peer-to-peer. For and it'll also be at the same time. That's also why we can't do the metal CUDA crossover, because we need to do that for both CUDA and metal at the same time. And then with that improved memory footprint and stability, you'll get cross-rendering between metal and CUDA worked out. With the gotcha. lens effects, are there any uh, uh, like lens flares or anything yes. like that? I know people have asked for like realistic Ooh, lens fun. flares yeah. and stuff. Yeah, so you get a lot of dailies like that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it, it's I, I think, all caustics and lens flares. So I think the first thing, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So exactly. So caustics, we I think we solved that pretty well. And the lens flares, I mean, certainly getting very fast, quick, real-time lens flares won't be hard. That's that's already very much on the roadmap. We'll look towards getting that all the way to you know here is. You know, the, up, up to the diffraction limit of light, or even with diffraction, which is kind of where you know we want to go. You'll be able to have really highly high quality computed lens flares as well. So we'll have this, you know, the spectrum from purely, you know, high fidelity quiescent offline lens flares to the fast, quick turnaround ones, and uh, they'll all be possible essentially through this um, through this extension mechanism. Depending on whether you want to go for real time at really good quality or the best possible quality that's not absolutely necessary running in real time. They'll both be, be supported. Cool. That's so very cool. render network wise, let's talk about this a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, so are there currently like, is there currently a specific build that you need to be on uh, to use it? Like, is there kind of like, um, I, like, I, I don't know, like you, you wouldn't want to run the beta, and, and try and throw something at it, right? Like, is there a specific, is it the current stable build? Yeah. Is that what it's always on? It's, so we started, I think, with 2020.15 as the minimum, right? That's, that's what I think we kind of launched render with 2020.1. Um, and so we added 
uh, a while back, uh, you know, in the past year, we had support for multiple versions that can run on render at the same time. So you can still mm -hmm. stake to 2020.1.5 for render jobs, but, you know, we added 2020.2. Uh, we've, you know, if you're on Octane X, it's actually targeting 20.1.5. Uh, and 2021 stable. Once a version is stable, you can use it on render. That's kind of our threshold. So 2021 is now on render. I mean, that's, that is, yeah, that is on there. And then 2022 uh, dot one when it hits stable or maybe even release candidate we'll, we'll support that on the render network we, we do want to try to avoid experimental builds having those widely out there sure. because for one thing those yeah. will change yeah. especially if they're if they're not release candidate um, we, we kind of want to only sort of have you know builds that are basically done uh, on on the render networks to just minimize support and, and user error and other things so that's kind of the you know the way we're approaching same thing with other renders as well like we want to pretty much just have for Redshift and Arnold, we'll have the latest stable releases that are there um, and, and support multiple versions of those as well. Hi, my name is Sashia Dumont. I'm a writer, actor, and filmmaker. Hi, my name is Paul Robinson. I'm a director, DP, and filmmaker. We are the creators and hosts of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, an online source for all things indie film. We are a husband and wife film team and co-owners of Send3 Productions, and we started this podcast for filmmakers like ourselves who were producing on micro-budgets with Skeleton Crews. Go Gorilla is a weekly podcast that features various talents in TV, film, and web series productions. We've interviewed filmmaker powerhouses like Kestrin Pantera, Richard Raymond, Alex Ferrari, Cassandra Ebner, and Ryan Connolly. Amazing actors like Hannah Ward, Lou Taylor Pucci, Chris Wataski, and Eileen Gruba. Groundbreaking cinematographers like Jody Lee Lipes, and Jessica Lee Gagne, and many more. We also offer weekly reviews of our favorite films and shows, which vary from low-budget first-time filmmakers to A-listers and everyone in between. Go Gorilla is proud to announce that we have officially joined the MoGraph Podcast Network. So if you love filmmaking as much as we do, tune in every Sunday for a new episode of the Go Gorilla Filmcast. Your, your source, source for, for all things indie film. film. Now available on the MoGraph Podcast Network. A question that came up um, is on stability, because you actually have this listed as well, yeah. is, you know, the stability improvement, improvements and, and everything else. From from time to time, I'll have like a weird situation in cinema, and sometimes it's kind of hard to figure out, you know, is this because I have, you know, way too many polygons or because I'm integrating this plug-in or whatever it is. Um, if, if somebody's having a really just oddball situation, um, I know that, um, you know, you like to to take those things and look at them and say, yeah. okay, what is this so that we can address that? Um, what is the best place for somebody to, to hit you up on that as well and say, hey, I've got this scene that's a little iffy here and that way they can get it to you and you, you can actually work on it because it's, it's one thing to do that. It's another thing to say, oh, I had a problem with this scene and then never tell anybody yeah. about yeah. it because that's not going to Yeah, exactly. Anything. So we, need, we do need scenes and I mean, I'm, I'm obviously very active on, on the MoGraph Slack, you know, all I brought all you guys were, were welcomed all of our developers, so they're all on the Slack as well. There's what you know, thousands of, of, of artists there. I mean, that's a, actually a pretty good place to start in some cases because it, I look at that a lot. Um, the Facebook mm -hmm. group's another decent place. I mean, I, I would say that, that if you want to really share your scenes, the best thing to do, and, and there's a real issue that you're dead serious about having us, you know, really look at carefully is open a help desk ticket help at Ocho.com and start that process because that will get to the developers. Um, it, it bypasses me in a sense because I'm not in charge of help desk, but that's where you can share your scenes and that's where you can open a ticket. I would say that, that if that isn't working or if there are things that have been sort of posted on the forums or other places, I mean, the Slack channel and even the Facebook group isn't a bad idea because it's, it has high visibility. But at some point, you know, mm -hmm. be prepared to share a scene 
And what we need to figure out is, if you export this as an Orbex, the first question is, is this something that's only happening in the C4D plugin, for example, if it's in the C4D thing, or is it in the core? Right. Because they're very different pieces. And, and then the question is also, I mean, if so many problems that we have are frankly related to driver mismatches. Like, that's the other thing that we're that we experience yeah. in GPU world, is that if the drivers aren't quite exactly right with the version that you're using, I mean, things can go crazy or they can run perfectly smooth. And so there are users that yeah. I've never had a problem with Octane 2022 is stable, 21 is even more stable, never had an issue. Those, you know, that's, that's great, but obviously the performance ones that do have issues, we need to figure out what's going on. You know, drivers are generally like half of the reason why that happens. Other times, it's our fault. I mean, if something is some, some issue or some limitation Octane with memory or geometry, those exist. Like, those are real things that, I mean, a 3090 definitely makes it better. You know, 64 gigs of memory on a M1X means that you don't have to worry about out of core so much. But yeah, Octane has issues when you, you're, you're filling up that memory or going even out of core. So we're working on those. Headless rendering will help, obviously, when you don't have to worry about C48 itself being brought down. But then there are things that are nothing to do with us at all. And that could be from other plugins, other things that are going on. So yeah. it's a process that, you know, we're dedicated to fixing. I mean, that's, that's more important than new features at this point is, is making sure that everyone's got a stable and good experience. And I do think we fixed so much uh, this past year that I do think 2021's very stable, 2020.2 is stable. Uh, it's just a question of what have we missed and where, what, what can we fix um, incrementally, but also in, in a deeper sense as we get into the you know, rest of this coming year. Uh, Quick question. Yeah, sometimes um, I'll have a little problem in Cinema 4D, yeah. and I'll, I'll be like, man, what is the deal here? And, and Matt will be like, is your Cinema 4D up to date? Is your, yeah. dri are your drivers <laughs> so up to date? Yeah. Is your Octane up to date? And I'll be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. no, yeah. it's not. Um, Octane X, Quick question. Also, yeah. We had talked. We had talked previously about this, and I'm not sure if this is still on the roadmap or if not at all. Um, but we had talked previously about you know when encountering crashes, like say through C40 or something, that uh, setting it up to where it was just restarting Octane instead of having to restart the entire yep. you know DCC. Is that still on the roadmap? Yes, and that's because of headless rendering. So headless rendering, when we talked about this previously, it was with headless rendering because if there's no GPU or even rendering going on inside of C4D and it's just a you know, little network node that's sending data back and forth, then mm -hmm. at least if, if it's Octane that's crashing, it'll crash and it's, it's like a browser tab crashing. The whole browser doesn't go down, you just reload the tab. That's kind mm -hmm. of, that's how it works in Blender. So every, all Blender users since the beginning of time that we've had a Blender plugin have had that exact same experience. They basically are creating Octane as a separate process. It's sort of a manual thing. You have to download a special Octane server and it runs. But the headless rendering piece that we're talking about will, will work exactly like that. For all DCCs, even for Octane standalone, you can load it up and run, send all the data to another you know, process. And if that gets broken or torn down, it'll be a lot like, you know, like the network rendering where you can just turn those, flip the switch, and reconnect to it and re-render. And that's what, what headless rendering, done the way we're talking about, will do. And that's part of why it wasn't you know, it was possible to do before, because still things like imagers work and, and denoising, I mean, if that crashed the system and everything else is headless, it still wouldn't help. So we wanted to really just completely separate everything that was on the GPU. I mean, ultimately, it's almost like a, a, a browser that's connecting over, over a network data stream to the renderer, and that is going to be a lot have a lot less of a footprint for things to go wrong. And if that does something does go wrong, that'll you know crash, but you can reboot it, reload it, and continue rendering. That's where that feature will come in. So headless rendering is the key to to, cool. to getting um, to, to not having the DCC itself be pulled down from the the renderer going down. Cool. A lot of artists are asking too, like when when can they participate in 
in uh, in, in rendering, rendering yeah. a node? Well, I think that the answer is, I mean, certainly sign up, but the sign up list is, is so long. I mean, it's months, it's months now. Now, let me, I can speak to why that is. I think that part of it is we haven't really heavily marketed, believe it or not, Render to a lot of our users. I mean, we have so many subscribers that have access to the Render network. There's tens of thousands, honestly, that, that could be leveraging it. And I think that one of the things that I wanted to wait on was I wanted to get the Maxon integration piece sorted out. And I want to get that up and running yeah. because honestly, mm-hmm. if you can just send a C4D file, then I can I can send you an email blast saying use render, it's fine. Here's some even some pre-rendered you know, credits or whatever. Because then mm-hmm. it'll be easy. And then I think we, we can see a huge amount of, of demand going up. Right now it's like word of mouth. Like you guys remember where Kent Modegraph you're saying, well, I've got 10 3090s and man, I just I don't even need them to render locally anymore. I run render on them and I can send my jobs to the render network. Mm-hmm. I think once people figure out how that really works, they'll you have a lot more, more sort of uh, artists on it, but I think we also want to limit. You know, we don't want that that sort of uh, spigot to sort of be un, un, unwound with the uh, C forty part not being there. So I think once we have that, and you can send a C forty file or even Blender and other formats, that'll be nice. Um, there'll be reasons why I think still exported Orbex makes sense, but it, at least it's it's going to be there as an option. So that's where I think those signups that waiting list will go down significantly, and the second we add real time rendering. I mean, I think we'll, we'll eat through that wait list pretty quickly. So in the meantime, just signing up, um, mm-hmm. render.x.io is the new site for render. And, and you don't have to have any sort of subscription or anything to sign up for, for hosting a render network node. Um, it's open to anyone, but there is a wait list, and, and you have to be whitelisted. But, you know, we expect to, to go through that wait list pretty quickly as we get into these Once you steps. get that, that render IPR working... Mm-hmm. <laughs> You can need a lot more oh, nodes. I know. You're going to need a, a, lot, a, more a lot more nodes. And believe it or not, there's, I mean, yeah. the, the, the wait list, though, is, is significant. I mean, it's like there's probably enough nodes for every single artist, including multiple GPUs, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, if, we, if we went ate through that entire current wait list, and that's only growing. So I think that, yeah, I think the live IPR stuff is going to be absolutely awesome. And, that, and then I think when we get into, you know, just using the render network for real time, instances and streaming you're going to be a whole other world of utility yeah are there plans to use render nodes this is one of our questions uh to do other things like neural engine tasks or physics computations well yeah absolutely so here's the thing with embergen right embergen is a gpu simulator uh in the sense that i mean it has its own node system but the reason why we adopted it was that it's it's a little bit like like Octane itself. I mean, it's like we want to sort of dog food a, a physics system that uses GPU power, right? And 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 Embergen does that for for smoke and fire and, and soon fluids. So I do see the simulation piece. Um, and you know, Houdini obviously is another important partner of, of ours as well. You know, you, you want to have that available as well on networks. So whether or not we we have other benchmarks that translate Octane Bench into some simulation task where we just standardize on some, on some sort of u- utility or usage of the GPU. Simulation work is for sure coming to the render network. Um, the other thing that I think is, is absolutely already going to be something we're going to use is AI. Now, we have AI denoising, for example, in Octane, but how do we train that? We actually have Amazon GPU nodes that we use for the training data set. We just run those, and we'd like to move those over mm-hmm. to render. Um, yeah, and then yeah. there's, if you guys saw the Solana talk, the very last frame I showed, right? I, I showed all the stuff we're doing with the Roddenberry Archive. Um, and at the very last slide, I was like, look, this is our, our first synthetic version of Spock. You know, with, you know, Adam Nimoy, who's a friend of, of Ron Roddenberry, my, my partner and best friend, uh, you know, sort of gave the okay, like, yeah, this is, my, this, this is my dad. But that actually took a huge amount of AI 
to, to generate. It's not a deep fake in the traditional sense. I mean, it's using, um, you know, we're, we're mixing that like light stage and we're, we want to be able to render it, of course, in C CG. But in order to generate animations with some of the light stage data sets that we're putting out there, you want to have a, a targeted video capture and you want to run that through a neural network. And that is a huge amount of GPU power. So as we start getting yeah. those synthetic characters generated at this quality, uh, I think that will use even more power than ray tracing and normal rendering itself. And you have so many of those kinds of jobs that have always been sort of this latent, um, you know, sort of bubbling source on the render network. We did this, you know, thing with Facebook for, for you know, basically doing light field generation um, from scene data with the red camera. That camera had never really got mass adoption. But the concept of having the render network available for scanning, you know, data and generating something in 3D for you uh, is huge. I mean, that's going to be an enormous amount of, of, of work that's done on network. And looking at how long and how expensive it was to generate just one image of, of Spock that looked good, uh, for the Rhino Bay Archive, like, well, that's going to be for sure what we use the render network for because it's going to, you know, it just, I just, I think that's, that's where we want to go with this kind of stuff. And I think as people start adopting synthetic characters and avatars and want that kind of quality, even if you want to render it in real time, you still need to generate that animation at, at that fidelity. Otherwise, it's not going to quite be, look right. You know, there's a reason why it takes so long to get it to be that quality. Uh, so I see render being mm -hmm. absolutely important for that. And then for just general purpose AI jobs, we're adopting a language called Rust, yeah. uh, which is a safe, high-performance language. We're going to be uh, basically backing an open source project that allows you to just use Rust to generate both GPU jobs, CPU jobs that can sort of set up the GPU work, and also target Rust for the Solana blockchain, which is another conversation we can have around the Ooh. Solana integration. Yeah. yeah. All through yeah. Render SDK, which is all going to be in the standalone tools. It'll be like OSL shaders. You can write code or scripts in the node graph and build things from that yeah yeah so um tell us a little so, bit too hold on about, real quick oh. real, real quick because my, okay. my mind's racing as you're talking so with the the render sdk basically anyone can build a gpu based you know program or something and then run it on the render network correct that is correct is that so it, wow. so the way and the way the SDK will work mm. is you guys were, were right to point out how that Sculptron node works because you still want to have some mm -hmm. sort of input and output into a job. It isn't. It's not just here. Take a Docker container and a VM and do whatever. The idea is that we're going to start towards like there's input, there's some sort of graphical connection, even if it's an image or it's, or it's it's data, but it's still the same sort of idea of a graph. And what you can do is if you can take Embergen or you can take World Creator, you can take you know anything that that plugs into a node. And you can take data going into the node that starts the render job. Like you can, when you're doing a render job now, you can pick a frame. Eventually, you'll be able to do a real time, like you know, live connection to your IPR. But having the idea of creating a graph with input and output means you can connect jobs together, and you can build anything that goes into that into that node. And so we have the ability to create scripted node graphs, OSL node graphs, and soon you'll be able to just write in any language you want, uh, but ideally Rust, and have those things happen on chain on the GPU and create almost anything. And you can then sort of you know, push that or I guess even abuse that a little bit towards any sort of task you might want to set up. That, I think, is a healthier and more you know, ecosystem-friendly way of doing this than, than just a pure virtual machine or a Docker container because it, it forces the software itself to interoperate with other pieces of the render network. And I think all things that we're looking at doing in some form or another have data that is consumable or, or, or you know, sort of first-class first data that needs to be consumed graphically. But you don't have mm -hmm. to do that. I mean, there's already ways you can create a script that generates data and get that data back from a rendered job along with your image. So it's all kind of possible. Is there any concerns about, are there any concerns about like bandwidth? You know, like say, for example, if I'm using 
you know, render for a live art IPR or, you know, streaming mm. video or something like that, you know, is there is there worry about bandwidth and the, the nodes going down and coming back up? Uh, how how would you get past that? Yeah, well, I think that you have a, a you know, it's, it's funny because everything that we've done on render, we've pretty much already done on Amazon. So we had cloud rendering on Amazon mm-hmm. with Oric. Now it's on Render. We have live streaming running on Amazon, even before work. It was up and running, I think, in 2014. You used to be able to go on the Octane web, or Otoy website and actually boot up a web stream of Octane on demand everywhere. What's mm-hmm. interesting is that also, I mean, just like there are render jobs on Amazon that would fail and give you a block frame, well, what would happen is we just go to the next node and we'd send the job there and we'd also have that resilience. So on the decentralized network, everyone that's on there it's like an Uber driver, right? You have a score. If your score is five, you've never gone down. Your availability is great, and you're, you're dependable. So for live streaming, you're always on. You're ready to go. And there's so many of you that gotcha. if you don't work, okay. we'll go to the next one. And, you know, it's kind of like that. I mean, obviously, there's, there's a question of you know, it's how important is the live stream itself as an experience, and where is the state of it stored? So if the state of what you're doing in the live stream is stored on the blockchain, which is where the Solana piece comes in, and you, you do something, you're changing something, and it doesn't just go down with the live stream. The live stream is just consuming the render of it, then it's easy to put up another stream or even have another stream ready to go. And multiple people can be watching that session with totally different nodes providing that window into it. And you get to switch to another viewport. And that's kind of how I see that working. Um, there's, there is always a possibility of you know, massive things going down or whatever, but it's, it's, I think it'll, it'll survive that. And we do also have the Amazon, Azure, and Google nodes that are there for you know, maximum availability, lowest downtime. They're, they're more expensive, but you know, that's, that's why we have them there. It depends how important um, and how reliable those nodes need to be if there's availability. And we'll cool. be able to find you know, nearby nodes. Yeah, well, that's the beauty of the render know, network. Is we have, you know, there's maybe 10 AWS data centers that we've used for streaming. There's 1,200 different spots all over the world. If you look at the map that we put out when we first had signups so those first 1,200, it's mm-hmm. everywhere, every continent, every country. So, and they're mm-hmm. close. So we, we get, you know, live streaming nodes that are reliable that are, you know, within 10 or 15 milliseconds. That's fantastic. That's the power of decentralized rendering. We don't need to build data centers or wait for all that to happen or invest in massive amounts of GPU. Uh, you know, cloud gaming farms, it's all kind of latent in there. And we're starting with a foundation that is high utility for, you know, sort of a, a, a demanding audience, which is artists and creators. But then that also leads towards having, you know, a good foundation for doing cloud gaming, live streaming. I mean, even having a simple version of artist tools that you can run from a, a stream inside of an app, like, uh, you know, Messenger or something that's all completely handled. The DCC, the whole thing is as part of the live stream, you know, and you don't have to have anything other than a, a web page on on the, you know on your device and along the same lines the uh, the nodes like you were talking about there's a node in there right these nodes could also be used to contain an existing render and then give people credit for that render as well exactly right? so you know we're not there, we're not quite there yet but when you look at the things we've added for you know basically kitbash 3d right where you now get a I mean matter what's up you're on you can get a new kitbash 3d asset every month um, and with lightstage same thing we're adding more heads. The idea is that, you know, and we'll probably experiment with this first with LightSage heads, is that if you want to use a head and you don't want to pay for it, um, you know, the first head was Clay, so it's Clay's asset. He can decide what he wants to do with it. But, you know, <laughs> one of the things we're doing with LightSage is we're scanning in celebrities. We're scanning in their likenesses. Now, this is, by the way, before NFTs even took off, but this is my deal with, with, with Ari, with Endeavor, right, which is that we basically can, can create these high-quality scans of a person. And then, now that NFTs are a thing, now that there is sort of a, a blockchain system, 
whenever that gets used by an artist, you can use the head for free, but the actual creator of that artwork or the person whose likeness it is can get a royalty of it. And that can be determined not too dissimilarly for how you mm-hmm. get a premium uh, usage-based license for, for a third-party render or, or, or even our render, right? Mm-hmm. So this kind of thinking is pretty cool. That means that if you were to, let's say, and this is something we haven't done yet, but if Kitbash or GSG or, or you know, TurboScript or anyone else were to say, okay, all our assets are hashed and instead of you know, buying this thing, you're getting access to them one at a time, we'll let you do stuff with them, but we're yes. going to get a piece of that art then that's yes. a model you can you can definitely try out, and that's what render is designed for. Because already Love we know that with Kitbash, mm-hmm. like we already have kind of like all the assets. You know, typically on render, the way that it works is whoever uploads something first is the creator. Whoever generates that image and can then regenerate it with their render job is typically the creator of it. But if they use textures or assets that have been uploaded first by somebody else, then we can say, well, where did that come from, and who owns that? Uh, and that's kind of where those kinds of opportunities for marketplaces become really interesting. I don't see us building explicitly yeah. those marketplaces, but there's a system for any of those marketplaces to be built. And as we talk about the next phase, all the yeah. stuff with Metaplex and Solana, uh, there's a reason why we pick them as a partner mm-hmm. as well for, for, for that kind of flexibility and sort of scaffolding for the future of, of, of digital assets and sales and all that. And I think that transcends the whole NFT piece as well, to be honest. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's so great for the artist because... Anything, any asset that they create, you know, especially the smaller artists, they work really hard on something and they they put it out there and they're only selling it for a few bucks and then Mm -hmm. somebody pirates it. And it's like, it it was only five dollars, guys. Like, you (laughs) know, at least people can get credit for that or they can implement a system where you don't have to pay the outright price. It's like, here it is. And anytime you use it, I'm going to automatically get a credit or something like that's a great idea. That is is amazing. That That is cool. so um, we're, we're almost to our NFT section now that we're almost two hours <laughs> in. Um, and um, I, there's one more question I wanted to put out there, and this is from Anthony Abbott. He says, what can you say to persuade studios? i to the restroom real quick. I'll be right back. Sure. What, um, what can you say to per- persuade studios uh, to, to adopt Octane? He said, it's a personal favorite. Um, but right now, it's a nightmare trying to get my boss to use it. We've we've uh, adopted. We write code to use it. Had different pricing models and license issues. Um, I know that some studios pick a render engine for a certain reason, right? Like this is what's compatible with us, or on Mac, or or whatever it yeah. is. Um, so so w- what would you say? I mean, I don't think you really have to say anything to persuade them if they're watching this episode, but. Um, you know, what would you say to them to get them on board and get them using render and everything? Well, I would definitely say, you know, obviously, you're right. If they're watching this, then they know all the great stuff we're working on. I will say that we've simplified our licensing model significantly, um, which I think helps. Uh, there used to be, you know, you know, box licenses. I mean, we're, to be honest, we're phasing those out. I mean, no one's really buying, you know, a, a perpetual license anymore. So the subscriptions are designed to be, you know, you get everything. You Essentially, if you're a studio, you're probably going to get the... Um, the enterprise license, which is, you know, 30 bucks a month. Uh, and I also think that, you know, it's, it depends on the studio. Some studios do have more bespoke needs. They want a license server where, you know, we're working on those as well. Um, but I would say that, you know, we're, we're there to support, you know, these models, um, you know, at, at, at the studio level um, with a simplified, you know, set of, of, of licenses. I think that was one of the confusing factors. And also, you know, we have just great support and stability in the last year. I mean, Octane's done incredibly well. We've seen our user base just explode. 
you know, it's not just individual artists, it's also been in studios as well. So it's something that, you know, we're always engaged in. And to be honest, if there are specific things like that list, I'd, I'd like Anthony to sort of send me a specific, you know, one, two, three or whatever, so we can go through it with the yeah. team. Because that's the easiest way for me to, to sort of dig through that particular issues that he might be having at his place. And, and like, I'll get on the phone with his boss, with the team, and we'll, you know, we're there to help. So yeah, <laughs> I, I do that. That's my yeah. job, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of the hang up, honestly, like until now has been the whole Mac thing, right? Because mm-hmm. there's so many people that just love Mac. And I understand. I love the OS and Mac. I love their uh, their file manager and all that kind of stuff. And, and I had to switch to Windows because, you know, in order to do this stuff with NVIDIA and, and everything else and really, you know, build a farm here locally and, and, and all of that stuff, just had to switch to PC. So uh, it feels like now a lot of options are coming out a because apple is actually you know uh developing their their new technologies and b because you're on it now um so hopefully some of that hesitation is gone i understand i understand mac people you know i I know honestly if if the issue is the mac version i mean obviously we're we're i mean apple's been a close partner and you have octane running on on you know on, on mac apple silicon and even you know 10-year-old GPUs, but I think that going forward, I mean, you know, some of the question about stability as well, I mean, the Apple Silicon is going to be a lot more stable than any other GPU we've ever been able to target because actually GPU memory and CPU memory are the same. It's, it's in some ways a lot of a, a simpler system, and we're going to be doubling down on that with 2022. So if, you're, if your studio is a, you know, filled with Macs and you're looking at the future of the Mac as an important part of what your studio is going to be doing, then that's probably good news because mm-hmm. we can, you know, we're certainly all in on the on the Apple Metal ecosystem. Um, have been for years, and certainly will be for the rest of this decade going forward, probably longer to come. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right, Matt. Yeah. Are you ready for this? Let's get into the drop. All right. Let's do it. Drop. 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 Is this the fucking mic? Drop. This is exactly what I should be doing. What's up and welcome to this week's episode of The Drop, your weekly source for all things NFT and crypto art, as well as upcoming drops by notable people in the MoGraph industry. I'm Matt Milstead. Joining me as always is Dave Koss. Joining us this week, uh, CEO of Otoy and uh, uh, Render, um, Jules Urbach. So super excited to talk crypto art, NFTs, Solana, all of the above. Yeah, we'll um, keep the regular the regular drop stuff to a minimum today. Yeah, just it's actually like I, I just wanted to uh, uh, instead of going through everyone. Uh, luckily, I, I didn't see any big drops on Maker's Place uh, this week, but um, I just wanted to do a quick couple mentions on uh, some of the artists dropping this week on Nifty Gateway. Mm-hmm. First one is uh, Philip uh, uh, Hodas. Um, he's doing a drop today um on uh uh, nifty gateway and uh he's been posting some of his stuff lately uh really really cool stuff uh philip does just amazing work super excited about his drop and then uh next up uh on the first we've got gavin shapiro is doing another drop which is fantastic this one is like a collector's only like drawing for a zootrope like an actual physical zootrope which is really cool. Like he teased one of these a while ago, like, and I believe it was, it wasn't an Mm -hmm. actual physical thing, but I think these are, you know, and it's super, super cool. So that drop happens, uh, uh, December 1st. Has Um, he moved on to penguins now? He's moved to penguins from, (laughs) no more. Okay. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) 
right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's it as far as the uh, the the big drops. Uh, we've got a couple community drops going on. Uh, the first one is from Gustav. Gustav says, uh, I have brand new piece dropping on Known Origin on Tuesday, December 7th. Uh, Distance slash Dissociate is a new cinematic album cover from my latest album of the same name. Ooh, that's really pretty. That's super cool. So yeah, yeah. Uh, that piece is up there. And then we had one from Garrett. Garrett said, hey, Matt and Dave, I just dropped two new 4K pieces on Foundation. If you dig it, I would love to and appreciate your thoughts. Had a blast doing these homage to one of my favorite cartoon worlds. Uh, yeah, when the collection is done, there will be six swords made. Decided to drop the first two now. Uh, released a teaser trailer also on Twitter. So, oh, was it Adventure Adventure? I think time? it's Adventure Time, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, that's, well, that's fun. fun. Huh. So there you go. And then if anyone's interested, I also still have my piece available on Foundation. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Yep. That's right. So Uh, what what is your what is your asking? Uh, asking It's like 0.65 ETH, I think. So, you know, ETH has been fluctuating lately. Been going in between 4,000 and 4,700. So, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, before before we get into everything, I think. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) Dorpy's here. <laughs> hey, Matt. Hey, Jules. Uh, Happy holidays. Wow. I was really hoping we'd skip Dorpy this week. <laughs> nope. Nope. I'm assuming we're talking about render engines and mm-hmm. not the type of rendering that they did to my friend Harold the horse. May he rest in peace. <laughs> oh, God. I just needed to stop by real quick and, and tell you a little trick that I learned this week. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that you could swap crypto for tokens right in your MetaMask. Yep. Just log in and hit swap. It's that easy. I know most of you know that, but I didn't. And I know some other tricks, too. Want to see me shake? Just open up my Coinbase. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I found out this info from a uh, purebred friend of mine. Oh, He's not an actual purebred, though. We just call him that because he eats too many carbs. Oh, my gosh. Okay, bye. Oh, thank God it's over. All right. Shout out to Richard Day for helping me with some some dorpy jokes <laughs> as well. So, oh um, yes, in all seriousness, though, let's get to the good stuff. Um, yes. Here, here's the thing, uh, and I wanted to I wanted to talk about this. Um, we're going to talk about the metaverse. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. uh, render, and now as a token, of course. Yes. And uh, it's just the future and NFTs and all this fun stuff. Um, and, and here's what I like about render token is there's this economy around it. If you're watching the earlier part of the podcast here, then, you know, uh, about everything that's, that's kind of going on and, you know, you could, you can spend render, mm-hmm. uh, to, uh, you can render something and, and get, um, tokens back in exchange. It's kind of this like awesome ecosystem. It's like a self-sustaining mm-hmm. ecosystem. And when you're, when you're talking about, you know, you're hearing about the metaverse, you're hearing about what it's going to do and how it's going to make certain industries like independent and give people stakes and and everything. Mm-hmm. It's just such a it's just such a, a great ecosystem because it's just like this cyclical thing, um, you know. Especially when it when it's not just Octane either, right? It's we're talking about like this is other render engines. This is any not any, but a lot of the engines and um, and uh, apps that artists are using so it's it's something that you know has this economy behind it so um so we talked about render 
uh, you know, render network mm -hmm. and putting your, you know, sending stuff to render. Let's talk a little bit about the token itself, because I think that there are a lot of people that are interested in, in what this is, especially if they're coming from maybe an area where they know nothing about crypto at all. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, that's that's a whole you know, huge topic of conversation. So. Yeah, you know, starting from what the utility of the rendered network is, right, which is to provide all this GPU power to artists and provide this kind of massive compute power. You know, that's very easy, I think, for an artist to understand. What's, I think, you know, certainly now that we've been doing this for years, I mean, Render did, did launch officially, you know, out of beta last year, but before that it was in, in, in testing. Um, crypto is something that I think was, it's still unfamiliar to a lot of artists, right? I mean, they look at, at you know, they understand mm -hmm. Bitcoin and Ethereum as a unit of currency, but what's the rest of this crypto stuff? What, what is, how do smart contracts work? Now, granted, we, we do now live in a year where NFTs have just completely transformed the possibilities for how artists can make money. And we've been at the center of that with, with everyone from, you know, this, we have probably thousands of Octane artists that are doing incredibly well selling their artwork created in Octane, um, you know, on different NFT marketplaces. But Render is a little bit different. The Render token itself was designed to be a utility token, meaning that it's not necessarily a, 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 a token you buy for speculation or cash. It represents a unit of compute power, or more precisely, however big the network is in terms of its total, you know, if it's, a, it's you know, Skynet or it's the world computer, there's only, you know, there's only a certain number of these tokens. There's 500 million, half a billion or so. So however big the network is, the token represents a, you know, fractionalized part of that, you know, uh, and, and that's how the system works from a crypto perspective. So, it, it, you know, what we've done is that the tokens, when you, when you get a token or, ha or earn a token, it, it is generally... A, it represents a minimum amount of work, so which we tied to the dollar cost of what it would take to render this in Octane Bench, which is the you know compute power needed to render in Octane, and it's also used by other renders as well that we've added to the render network. Um, if it costs a dollar to render in Amazon, the render network should be able to render it for a dollar as well. And the token was essentially saying, rather than mm -hmm. spending dollars, spend tokens, right? What's been interesting is that we were able, with the capacity on the network, to take models that were, in theory, available on Amazon, like, oh, if there's spot instant pricing, it's 10 cents instead of a dollar. And we're able to offer, like, here's tier three, it's, it's one-eighth the cost, it's 11 cents on the dollar. But unlike Amazon, we have those GPUs available, so you could render those jobs. And the payout in tokens, you know, no matter what the price fluctuation was, was, was actually, I think, enough for people to still make money and do make more money than mining mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies like Ethereum. So there's a lot of interest. Mm -hmm. People just wanted to make money and, and add their, their GPU power to something that's crypto-centric, like the render network, to earn. And that's important because what we're trying to do is we're not trying to displace the Amazons and the Microsofts and the Googles. They exist for a reason. They'll always be there. But there is a hard limit on how fast they're growing versus how many users need GPU power. And we, we learned that firsthand when we were mm -hmm. developing uh, Oric, which is a precursor to Render. It was running on AWS and the public cloud providers. And one customer in one night would take all of Amazon GPUs, uh, thousands for a 10K C40 Render, for example. And there's no way to build wow. a business around that. And there's certainly there's like a lot of these well jobs, but the idea with Render is that if you're, if you're looking to participate in earning money, as with your latent GPU power, you could do that. And that it, it, it's, it's something that there's so many millions of GPUs that are out there initially set up to mine Ethereum. And with that kind of going away with Ethereum 2 to proof of stake, and just with a lot of GPU power out there anyway for people having their GPUs, not always using them, even if they're artists, right, to render, um, it's, it's, a, it's a really good system. And I think that, that somewhere in the, in the other side of that is if you earn those crypto tokens, right, you can also then spend them on rendering. And a lot of artists 
on the render network mm -hmm. are also miners. In, in other words, or, or what we call node operators, which is they lend their GPU power back in. So there is this sort of virtuous cycle. But I think that there's a whole other audience that we've sort of opened up to, which is the crypto audience, which is why I want to basically participate in the system. And I don't know anything about art or digital art at all. And I've seen a lot of, a lot of those users become subscribers to, to Octane and, and Otoy and, and all the like because they want to learn about the other side of the, of the system. And I think that, that mm -hmm. it's similarly, so there is sort of this, this, this larger spread. But what's happened is I think the, the free market decides the price of a render token. I mean, that's essentially a value of what the, what is the total value of the system divided by, I mean, I guess there's only 100 million in circulation, so it's, it's you know, essentially a thousandth of a percent per token, something along those lines. What is the, you know, that, that price has fluctuated from three cents to now I think it's like $6 or something. And that's something mm -hmm. that uh, we've had to sort of account for we are kind of for the new token economic model that will make it so that if you're an artist, um, it'll be straightforward. You'll get a stable amount of, of, of you know, octane bench per amount of, of value you put in. And, you know, we've been working on that new token, token economic model for better part of this year, and it should be out by the end of this year. And that will cover a lot more um, deep exploration of how the render network is going to be working for payouts and for ingestion going forward. But today, artists have a really simple onboarding system, which is they can pay with a credit card, and we have a store of tokens that we then pay out to the node operators so that it stalls running on tokens. And we're going to basically improve that system further with a new token economics model so that everybody has mm -hmm. a straightforward path to, um, to use and monetize their, you know, their, uh, their, their part of the, you know, the render network. Mm -hmm. And talk about your an announcement. Uh, it was a few weeks ago now, I think, the uh, Solana announcement. And why, why Solana? So, yeah. yeah, that's a fascinating question. And certainly, um, for those that aren't familiar with crypto, Solana is another type of blockchain. You know, you have Bitcoin, the original, that's like gold. Then you have Ethereum, which is, you know, the number two you know, blockchain in terms of value. And that added, you know, the ability to have programmable smart contracts. Most NFTs, most services are built on Ethereum. But Ethereum is pretty slow, and it's super expensive. And anybody that's minted NFTs on mm -hmm. what's called Layer 1, which is the core Ethereum network, it uh, destroys the environment, and it's expensive, and it's unusable for, for high-speed transactions. So, you know, what's happened is that Ethereum itself, you know, they're trying to fix that with what they're calling Ethereum 2.0, which is moving from a proof of work, mm -hmm. which is just, you know, slowing down the network and being expensive, to something that is, you know, validated in a different way. Um, that isn't ready yet. So in the meantime, other blockchains have emerged. We've partnered briefly with Algorand, um, which is a system that is meant to offer a different option. We also adopted Layer 2, uh, which is through a, a company, uh, a blockchain service called Polygon, which is like a side chain. It has a lot less nodes, mm -hmm. but you can run transactions faster, and then you can resolve them back on the Ethereum blockchain. And we added that because it was just impossible for us to run render and pay out people in a timely fashion. But that is none of those things solve the core problem, which is I have several things I need to see on the blockchain for me to build a business like Render, you know, or even a decentralized organization, which is what Render truly is more than a business, on, on such a system. I need fast transaction speeds. I can't really depend on layer two or these side chains for this one simple reason, which is that if there's 80 nodes or some small number of nodes that are making this Polygon or Matic, you know, the sidechain operate really fast, that also means that you have 100 nodes in AWS, you can take over that network and you can steal people's NFTs, you can do all sorts of bad things. So security and speed have to both be there. And the problem with a lot of layer two solutions mm -hmm. is they don't have the security part. And Solana, from my perspective and, and from people that I, I would say, again, I keep saying they're smarter people than me that have validated this to my satisfaction, including Brent and Ike, uh, who, who has a um, company called Brave. He created Mozilla, JavaScript, Firefox, like redefine the modern web. 
and uh, was one of the first people to get us ourselves into, into crypto. I mean, he launched Basic Attention Token 2017, helped us launch Render that same year. And he announced at the same conference I was at that he's moving basically to Solana. And for him, it was the security and the speed. And those things are so important that, you know, it, it feels like Solana is going to be that number three blockchain after Bitcoin and Ethereum. Those other two aren't going away. But if you need something better, faster, mm -hmm. different, more programmable, um, Solana is pretty incredible. And yeah. the tech guys behind it used to be our ex-Qualcomm guys. Uh, Anthony is a genius. I mean, the stuff that, that you could do, not just on the network, but in terms of programming for it. You can write C++ code. You don't have to write some crazy scripting EVM language. You can depend on super fast transactions. It's, it's got a built-in system so that you, know, you can pay with credit cards right from the get-go. And what's also interesting, one of the reasons why we picked them as a you know, partner going forward is that they don't have a marketplace that's blessed by Solana necessarily, but they have an API mechanism called Metaplex, where you can build your own store and you can customize it. And they're defining that within the Solana blockchain, like they're doing with the credit card ingestion, so that this is important. Like most stores that we're seeing, or most um, you know, artists are moving towards something where you, know, you have a virtual world that's your own collection of art, like a little mini metaverse, right? And you're seeing artists mm -hmm. building that, and they want to be able to sell their artwork within that. And it's not easy to do that when you're doing a drop on Nifty or Makerspace or OpenSea. Those are, those are kind of like legacy you know, sort of ways of selling anything. And I think that Metaplex is much more organic, it's much more customizable, and more importantly, all the asks we have, and we have a ton of asks, because we haven't launched 90% of what we've built for NFTs and for how those work, because we've been waiting for the blockchain piece to sort of catch up. Uh, the Metaplex team is like, we're, we're going to add everything you guys want and more. And it's a true partnership. So I do think that if you want to eventually get into selling your digital art or you want to build a marketplace of your own or you want to use Render and really come up with custom you know, integrations for monetizing your art, Solana and Metaplex is going to be ready to go. And mm -hmm. uh, we'll support other things. It, it will work, of course, across chains. We're, we're not dropping Ethereum or other chains. But you know, there's no comparison, I think, to the performance and versatility that, that Solana is bringing us. So that's... That and the security is, is pretty important. And the render SDK itself, again, targeting Solana directly. So you'll be able to create pieces in the SDK that are securely run on chain. So if you want to have like a virtual world where the state of that world is determined by something on chain, that can be encoded into the render SDK, into that node. Super, right. super right. powerful. So if you want to, so if you want to make mm -hmm. a, an NFT and you want to make it so it changes based on I don't know the weather yep. or the time of day or the score of a football game. <laughs> that's all going to be yeah. That's all going to be built in. Like, what is the minting process going to be like in that aspect? So the minting on Solana is, is th thankfully, if you're using the Solana piece, is effortless. Um, but even minting on Render is, is one thing people for, kind of forget is that every time you're rendering anything on Render, doing anything on Render where there's a transference of payment or value the entire input stream into that is essentially on-chain. So if you've ever used the render network, you can essentially call up your, the receipt of your render as, and say, this is the NFT of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no, there's no extra NFT step. Now, if you want to mint that on Nifty Gateway or, or on OpenSea or, in, or on Solana, even, sure. But by default, everything you're doing on render is already recorded on-chain, and there's already a receipt of that. In other words, when you re-upload a file again to render it as a 3D model, for example, if it's already been uploaded once, the hash of that is already on the render ledger, and we can and are storing those things opt-in, right, on ARWE, which is an option where you can, or IPFS, which is the blockchain storage system. And those things allow you to basically already mint 
pre-mint everything. It's called lazy minting, where it's like you've already created the NFT and it's already all there. It's a question mm -hmm. of when do you want to sell it and how do you want to sell it? And if right. you've already made an NFT, can you actually then reverse that and, and say, oh, my Beeple NFT or Beeple, right, who's sort of our space monkey for some of these ideas, you know, his NFTs were long out of the gate sold when we now have something called the Beeple Archive, which is basically anything we, we can then add on render. Now we have C4D file support. The other thing we're adding is Photoshop layers also on render, so you can do the Photoshop filters live in there and at Oracles. Those things can all be rebuilt on render, and the proof of render becomes more valuable than the proof of uh, NFT ownership, which could, of course, be anybody uploading an image saying, I, you know, I'm this artist or whatever. When you have proof of render, you can re-render that, you can make the job itself an NFT, or you can, you know, as, as Mike was saying at, at the MoGraph, um, you know, Camp MoGraph, right, where he may be selling a few NFTs a year, but he's doing, obviously, hundreds of, of pieces of art, I mean, at least 360-something every year, every day is right. I mean, those mm -hmm. things should be on chain and they represent his body of work. That's where we want to sort of build this sort of healthy layer. Right. That's sort of this metaverse layer too, where before you sell something, if you just want to build your brand or build your, your identity on chain, like it's cheap enough now and it's even going to be more trivial with Solana where you can do all that. And then you can think about how you want to monetize and when you want to monetize these pieces. But that layer, this archiving layer where your entire work ever done on render, um, all those pieces can be sort of be put into this, this archive system. I think it's fundamental to creating sort of, you know, a re one, a record of you as an artist or creator, and two, coming up with, you know, ways that are beyond just NFTs, right, where you're selling an image to, to things that are, that are truly, um, you know, totally different ways of selling your, yourself as an artist that combine the best of what I think NFTs can offer with the best of what, you know, Patreon and other things have support and even collaborative pieces become a lot easier. So those are all, I mean, those are deep areas of discussion we can dive in further into, but that's kind of where we see digital art, crypto art, and, and the systems that we're building to support it heading. Question on the Solana front. So, um, was, so correct me if I'm wrong, uh, because I very well could be, <laughs> um, render was originally built off of the Ethereum yeah. network, correct? Correct. Yeah. And then did you switch that over at a certain point? So we switched like, we switch, or, we switch or, it once already to Matic, so or Polygon. Which, yes. And I'll be honest, that has not gone as well as we'd like because the truth is there's two wallets now. There's two base, and it's like, holy crap, that is confusing. Even if Matic is faster, yeah. it hasn't been great, honestly. And what we're going to do with Solana is, unfortunately, or, or you know, but it's a, it's a step, but we're going to add Solana. So you're going to have, I mean, we're probably at that point maybe retire the Matic option and we'll just keep, you know, the ETH if you have it. So we'll have these three options. I mean, it's not like we already don't have two blockchains. Uh, the Solana team's already taken everything that we've ever done on ETH and already given us a Solana version for render. So it's, we have zero code to write. It's already done. Um, I, I just want to make that switch over painless for artists. And, I, and, and when we do it or when we add it, I mean, there's going to be a, a point where you'll have both the Ethereum uh, pieces of, of, of render running. But it's not going to make that much of a difference. Artists generally and node operators don't truly care as long as their wallet can be hooked up and they can make money from running the nodes. Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately, that's all you really need to be a node operator. And whether those are, are paid out on a, on a wallet support Solana or, or Ethereum is not a huge deal, I think, for the node operators. Artists, typically, I have to say, they still want to pay us in, in dollars and you know, with, with credit cards. So actually going to Solana and adding that means that we can actually on-chain take credit card payments instead of having to you know, store tokens and get your, you know, all that stuff becomes cool. a little bit simpler. And I think that next year, we're going to add Solana and then we're going to keep, the, there's something called a wormhole, which means that everything you've ever done on ETH can be exposed or, or connected to the Solana blockchain. But for newer things, like if you want to build a huh. dynamic NFT or you want to build awesome things, 
for the metaverse, that is going to be on Solana. And yes, you'll have things that are stored, even our minting that we've done so far on ETH, they'll all be there. But I view NFTs themselves as so trivial. I mean, they're just pointers. I mean, even on OpenSea, you're just pointing back to something. Typically, that's not even on-chain. It's like, mm-hmm. a, you know, half the stuff is on, on a you know nifty gateway server or something, right? It's like it's not even on, a, on the decentralized web. So all that needs to be re- redone. And the renderer system itself is sort of cross-chain. I mean, it has its own ledger, its own verification process that is verified in a smart contract on Ethereum, on Matic, and soon on Solana. But that's the least interesting part of it. I think the more interesting pieces are when you create art and you create modules and services and systems impossible to do in both in code and in speed and in transaction volume on any other chain. And those, you know, basically are added to the system and all the benefits of Solana come with that next year. Then I think that organically you're just going to move everything over probably to Solana and we'll keep the wormhole for any legacy data or assets or services that are running. But we've had a lot of experience. I mean, we still support older GPU drivers and things like that with older versions of Octane as we have to sort of pair those back and add new ones. And that's sort of a, a gradient or a great gray area of, 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 of transition. But I do think that, you know, everyone's sort of hungry for a better blockchain system than either Layer 2 on ETH or Layer 1 is delivering. So Solana is going to get us here next year. And there's tons of, of support coming from the team, from Raj, the co-founder of Solana. Um, we've talked so much about the future. It's just incredible. I can't even begin to describe some of the bigger metaverse aspects and ideas that are floating around yeah. between all of us. I'm, a, I'm assuming that will that will also speed up payments for node oh, God, operators yes. as well. Correct? It's instantaneous. Yeah. I mean, that's what Matic was supposed to do. Okay. It just it, it's been it's been complicated by the fact that there, the transition and even dependency somewhat on layer one ETH has just been it, it's 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 messier. And I think the new token economics model also will take into account the fact that Solana will be part of that going forward. I mean, that was something that also, there wasn't a bunch of point in putting out that model until the Solana piece was announced as a, this is a function of how the economy of, of render will work. We'll have this as a tool. We'll have this as a blockchain, right? And then payments in and out will just be so much faster and the services that we can offer uh, so much deeper. And ultimately, I think the important piece is for both node operators and artists and even those in between that want to participate in the render ecosystem as neither, because there are people that just may want to have IP or art that they want to put into the render network and, you know, hire artists to build things around that. I mean, I see that as being one of the bigger metaverse components of render. I mean, all those things just need to be built on a solid foundation and Solana is going to get us there pretty, pretty quickly. I will say that, um, you know, I, I enjoy buying collections and nfts and stuff like that and the other day um the bone world uh nfts they were built on solana and um buying buying them were was easy very easy i mean i went on to coinbase bought some solana transferred it over to a wallet and was able to buy it and it was so fast like um having done some uh, some of the other ones, like I know, uh, the visitors, uh, was one collection and also just recently the, uh, the dead mouse deadheads. Dead yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Those, it, it, cause you're working with Matic and you're working on polygon. It's become, it, it's difficult to get that stuff and it's expensive cause you're having to transfer, you know, to multiple different ways. Yeah. But I, I yeah. so when I heard the Solana news, I was really excited about that, especially yeah. being a node operator and seeing how that could benefit <laughs> us. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have so much to say just about the Solana ecosystem because it's not just us, you know, saying, hey, Solana is great for render. It's also like, look at the things happening in the Solana ecosystem. And I'll start with, with Brave. You know, Brandon Ike is the reason why. I mean, he's the ultimate, uh, you know, sort of validator for me that the network's the future for, for all of us. But even having Brave, having a browser that has like 45 million 
users, you know, the browser is deeply integrated with Solana. So I'm thinking that, you know, frankly, all these issues of what you do in the browser, how do, you know, there's so many interesting things we can do with basic attention token and Brave. Um, we've had that partnership mm -hmm. for years. It just has been kind of waiting for the blockchain pieces to catch up. Decentraland's another partner. I mean, but there's, there's, a metaverse shouldn't be Facebook saying this is the metaverse or any one company. It should be a, a little bit of these like organizations coming together, mm -hmm. offering these, these elements that are, you know, that, that, that are modular. And I feel like this is where some of those pieces really genuinely can come together. And I feel really good about that. Mm -hmm. um, now, I know that, that Dorpy taught us how to <laughs> swap uh, in our MetaMask, but I know a lot of people have asked a question, too, about, you know, will you be able to just get render on Coinbase or some of those other platforms? Yep. Is there any plans on that? You know, the, the, those exchanges just list us whenever. So Binance just listed us, uh, you know, I think a yeah. couple of days ago. Yeah. And, and, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it'll be everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's just... Especially, I think, since the Solana conference put a lot of attention on Render in the crypto space, now everyone's like, it's just, we're just a lot more of a visible project. And I expect that, just like with Binance, you're just going to see all the major exchanges at some point, you know, have Render on there. So, yeah, I think it's just a matter of timing. I haven't been in any rush. I feel like it's important for us to, to map out what Render is, where it's going. Even the Solana mm -hmm. piece, like, fundamentally, it's a good thing nobody was paying attention too much to it because so much of what I'm, I'm seeing and hoping for and imagining for the metaverse and the future and the part that we play in it, just it needs something like that to happen. And so I feel like, well, now now that people are looking at it and the Solana part is a big part of that messaging, that's terrific. Um, but yeah, a lot of things come with that as well. Obviously, being listed on exchanges like Binance without us, I mean, I, th I don't think we even asked. I think they just did it. Um, I didn't know. You know, I, I found out like eight hours after everyone else when I woke up. So it's 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 kind of like yeah, there's there's and there's just tons more people in the in the Telegram groups talking about Render. I'm active there as well, obviously, when I can. Um, it's great. It's great to have more visibility. A lot more crypto folks are looking at Render uh, as they should, because I think, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you think storage is important for the blockchain or the metaverse. I mean, compute is fundamental. Like, you can't get around that. I mean, you, you, you know, not everything's going to be done on device. Otherwise, we wouldn't need the cloud. Amazon wouldn't have a $32 billion AWS business and, and, and all that. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot there that can be solved. And decentralization is a huge improvement over the system we have for centralized compute today. So it's, it's super exciting. Is there any talk? Let's with talk. The, uh, is there any talk with the folks at, over at Solana about them leveraging the render network? Oh yeah. You know, I mean, w w the partnership is bidirectional. So whatever we can use Solana for, they're okay. also. I mean, you know, for Metaplex, for example, like Render is like a first. Yeah, you know, it's like a built-in kind of system. I mean, we're both all in, and that's the idea of, of, of a blockchain system or platform is that. And it's kind of what I'm trying to do even with, within our own tools, right, where you have a module for Embergen or WorldCreator or Sculptron in the node graph. The node graph itself becomes open source. You know, the idea is that if you're using Metaplus, you can use Render. And Render has an API that allows you to programmatically do anything you want with it. It doesn't have to go through our tools. We have uh, partners like Swatchbook that have an API that can generate renders for them. They sort of have a, you know, their, their own wallet to, to, to pay for those. So I see this, you know, Render itself being fundamentally, if you're building something on Solana, Render's there. Uh, along with many other services that, that interconnect. And that's, that's, that's fundamentally important. Also, Metaplex is there to help define the best way that NFTs could work and thrive on Solana, right? So if we're there in those early days helping to define that for things that are done on Render, which is a huge number of things that I think NFTs could be done in, uh, both dynamic, you know, real-time, all those things, that's critical too. So we, we see the, this, this contribution as being bidirectional. And I would say that with Raj 
you know, who's essentially the, you know, the, I mean, he's the co-founder, he's the CEO of, of, of the Solana Labs ecosystem. I mean, he is, he sees the world of the metaverse the same way that I do. And that's open source, modular, and, you know, we all are helping each other. All this, not a zero-sum game, it lifts up all these ships. No one's, by the way, trying to kill ETH either. It's just, this is what we have today, these are the tools. And, yeah, time to market, in some sense, yeah, is important. Yeah. Like, we waited four years to have some of these pieces ready. I'm not waiting another year, so I'm mm-hmm. using Solana. Yeah. <laughs> So let's talk about some some metaverse stuff. Like I, I would love to talk even about like how where you feel the metaverse is, is going. You yeah. know, love to hear your like, thoughts on futuristic Facebook's about this and metaverse announcement and just <laughs> everything. Where is the world going? Yeah, with, with yeah. The metaverse? I mean, I I've been I've been this is hours of, of my time. I could talk about the metaverse honestly because it it, it does. <laughs> let me start by looking at, at a very high level. I will say that I agree with the general consensus that this replaces. Mobile, it replaces the internet, it replaces the web, it replaces in some ways social. So anything that's sort of transacted through the internet digitally um, is, is ripe for disruption for a number of reasons. And the metaverse, as a label or a name, is fine. As a, I, I consider that accurate. So when Zuckerberg's talking about there being this whole new paradigm shift, I think he's right about that. That whether or not Meta as a company, Facebook, right, previously known as Facebook, is, 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 is the arbiter of, of what the metaverse is or isn't. On, a, you know, on an implementation level, I don't know about that. I think that it should be like the open web. I mean, that's why, you know, everything that I think about the metaverse almost begins with what is, what is Brendan Ike doing? What is, you know, he's the one that, that gave us an open web. An open web is really what allowed companies like Facebook and Google and Amazon and even Apple when they started with Safari to thrive and build multi-trillion dollar market caps, right, that they have now. And I think that, that the metaverse is, is for, for sure... There's something beyond the App Store model. There's something beyond mobile. And you could say that it's augmented reality. I think that there's, it's an obvious like, device type for the metaverse because already you're, you're going to have to rethink how these things work. The web is going to work differently. Apps are going to work differently. And I think there's such a clarity from Facebook and Apple and maybe even you could say Epic and others that the, the whole AR glasses ecosystem is going to be the starting point, right? Where, I mean, you could argue that the web didn't take off until you had the Netscape browser or you had, uh, you know, mobile or you even had social media. Like, who knows where, where, the, where the forcing function was that made the web, the internet itself, this, this absolute fundamental part of daily life. But it's likely that, that mainstream AR is going to be a big, you know, driver towards having something very different that's metaverse-like. And I think that the metaverse should basically start with a model that is built on the blockchain so that you essentially have um, one of the early lessons of the open web, you know, baked into it, which is Brendan was saying, if I only I put a buy button in Firefox, there would never be the issues we have now with the app stores and the 30% and all the epic Google lawsuits flying around. Because, you know, there is, there, there is a world where you could have easily imagined, I mean, Steve Jobs, when he first launched the iPhone, and he was like, well, Safari is your app store. He meant that literally. It wasn't until later that he's like, aha, you know, apps and native things and the app store list charged 30% became a thing. And Mozilla was working on a, a, a system for Firefox phones that would have had security layers so that web apps could have operated as native apps. It's still possible to this day. And my goal would be to help promote a system where anybody could develop you know, any app um, on any chain. Solana may be a, a great one to start with. But you have something that, is, you know, that isn't behind a store or a vertical. And the danger with one company like Facebook or even Apple or Epic or NVIDIA or anyone or, you know, controlling a large chunk of the metaverse is that if you're going to redo this again, this, you don't want that 30% tax on everything. You don't want to have a model that is only based on, on Facebook's current model, right, which is you're the product and your eyeballs now are, are, are your monetization piece. Because it's, you know, obviously it's not great for privacy and it's not great for 
all sorts of reasons that, that you can see exploding already today with, in, on social media. So my vision of the metaverse is it's, it's a way to sort of revisit all the best parts of the open web with the lessons learned from the things that went wrong with the mobile social media ecosystem we have today. And it'll be proven, you know, at the very latest on AR devices where nothing is going to be the same when you have the glasses as the primary entry point into your digital experience. That doesn't mean that there won't be metaverses on iPhones, on PCs, on desktops. They'll just be different. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit like, like having black and white TVs in the age of color. You can kind of still watch color shows on black and white, but at some point you move to a different device and that device is going to be spatial. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the practical mm-hmm. parts of the metaverse. And then there's deeper pieces where I think if you're going to go and, and think about rebuilding the entire internet and the entire value proposition, let's start with art and content. We already see the, a market for digital art and owning that with NFTs that are that are interesting. You've seen streaming just eviscerate cable and live television. You have Disney Plus, you know, these wars between these streaming right. providers. I see the metaverse just in, in the content side eliminating the Disney Pluses and the Netflixes because if you just have one metaverse and it's like the web, then the way you discover content, even if it's all aggregated on what's so-called Disney Plus, it might not be behind an app on, on your TV set-top box. It might be in a very different form and it might be that the, you know, sort of the, you know, the intersections between things that are on Disney Plus and on Netflix intersect if they're all spatial and they can all render together and buying something or owning something or visiting something is all on the same spatial rendering service. Then it becomes more like, well, if you're, if you're, if you're visiting Disney Plus and those, your eyeballs are seeing rays of light bounced off a Disney Plus piece, those are tracked. That's what the um, idea of Brave, which was, you know, ads that are, privacy-based that are based on the surface area in the browser are interesting. You could do ads, you could do monetization based on your visitation in the metaverse. And that could be a different model on top of the streaming subscriber model. They could all be there. But mm. that's the kind of stuff that the metaverse might allow you to genuinely open up when there's not this, this verticalization or barriers between apps, platforms, and ecosystems. Um, especially with a, with a layer where every single piece of transaction could be charged for, could be subscribed to. You know, you have those options. You don't quite have that easily on the web. And that's been a fundamental dividing factor, I think, in, in you know, the, the mobile market we have today and the reason why ads are so prevalent, even on social media, because there hasn't been great monetization models um, through the web itself. And I'm sure the Render Network is going to be involved in things like, you know, rendering AR on yep. the fly and all yep. of that mm-hmm. based on those models. And then, of course, which would need a lot more power, but the light field stuff, the holographic stuff that we know is coming eventually in real life, all of that. Uh, gosh, especially that stuff, because I, I forget you, you were telling us, like, the ridiculous amount of GPU power that some of that stuff needs yep. right now. Mm-hmm. Um but um, how do you how do you see how do you see render itself falling into this entire into this metaverse? So, uh, besides the render stuff, yeah. I guess. So, so I, I, I think yes, yeah, so the render stuff is fairly straightforward as far as like if you want to create digital art and you want that to go on the on chain and and or even create spaces that people can visit in the metaverse, right? That's fairly obvious. We have real time with Brigade. We have integration with Unreal. You can publish those pieces, and monetization or not. Those are elements the render net will support. You need to have, I mean, even if you have the same compute power on your iPhone, the fact that, like, let's say the enterprise model, the one that I showed at the Apple event is 100 gigabytes. You don't want to necessarily download that, you know, and you don't want everyone, I mean, so there may be a case where it's like, <laughs> yeah. just render it on the, on the network where the, you know, it's already cached, it's on the edge or whatever. And, and those kinds of things are, are, are important for AR. And we can do streaming AR. It's actually not that hard because you have the depth data. And this is how NVIDIA does their Cloud XR, which is an API that, that streams from NVIDIA servers to um, you know, any, any generic sort of AR or VR device. 
that's a pretty well-known system or method. So I'm, I'm not concerned at all about using render to stream to AR and having those effects work nicely. I think that's you know area of, of deep work and research that we're going to be building on top of Brigade, on top of Unreal and Unity and other integrations next year. Um, but where I see the more interesting elements in the metaverse is sort of exemplified by the render archives. And we have three of these that we start in. One was people. I mentioned that briefly, where all of people's work that he's ever done uh, it's on chain. You can, he can just hit render and it can basically create one of his everydays. Um, you know, it's from the C40 file, from the Photoshop uh, PSD that's at the output of it. And those can then be, I mean, new ones can be built, right, that are dynamic, that are oracles. But I think the more, you know, the other two render archives are really intriguing. One of them is Alex Ross's archive. He's a comic book painter and artist. He's the one that paints me as Marvel and DC superheroes, right? Yeah. <laughs> but his art is 2D. But, but for yeah. 20 years, we've been building 3D versions of all of his paintings. It's like bringing to life. And he's done paintings that have redone, like, you know, Avengers number one, Fantastic Four number one, uh, Action Comics number one with Superman. Like, they're, they're Alex Ross paintings that are beautiful, lifelike, you know, paintings, Norman Rockwell-like paintings of these comic book events. And here we are, and now we're building those in 3D. And those are not necessarily for NFTs. They're just to have those moments of the DC universe and Marvel universe brought to life for posterity, that's what he wants and we want for his work. And you know, that's one, one path. On the other side with the Roddenberry archive, yes, all of the documents, there's millions of documents. If you see the video that we put out with, with Gene Roddenberry's estate, um, that's all there. But we're also taking the blueprints from the team that worked for 30 years on Star Trek, Darren Donovan, the Kudas, Doug Drexler, um, and we're rebuilding the Enterprise down to the nuts and bolts. The toilet's flush, you can push every button. It's completely <laughs> insane. Man. I don't, and the hardest part is we spent six months just figuring <laughs> out exactly where that goes. Like, not even the work of the three model. Like, oh my God, no, this has to be this place. Because some of it was never filmed. Some of these things don't even fit. So you'll end up at the end of this project with, you know, for the Smithsonian level quality of museum, you know, which is where this will go. I mean, the team also worked on the 11 foot Smithsonian model that's hanging there. Um, you'll have a digital version mm-hmm. of the real enterprise and you'll be able to go back and forward in, in time and space. Because uh, it's literally like the ship of Theseus. It was rebuilt in 2270. Before that, it was the TV version. Mm-hmm. It blew up in 2285. So you have this 40-year world line in its universe. And then you have the alternate universes. You have the JJ version. You have all the ships before and after that were named Enterprise, which is very meta, right? And then you have the actual physical right. models <laughs> in our universe, which is what I consider, well, modal reality. In other words, certain types of fiction include our world. You break the fourth wall, you're in our universe. Marvel actually has a number for the real world that we live in. It's called Earth-1218. The Marvel Universe is 616, so on and so forth. So you can see the metaverse <laughs> is an object that is the thing itself, uh, the you know, platonic abstract form uh, of, of the enterprise. It is not the 3D model. It's all possible 3D models as determined by the creator. And you can view it in the universe of, of Star Trek. It's canonicized in a sense by its, what appeared on TV and what we can then rebuild. Like We can rebuild those each moment of that show you know, in render, and it's just crazy, and then you can explore that world, or live in it, or, or have branching stories, but you also have the ability to see in the real world where it came from, how it was done, and this modal reality system, that to me is the metaverse, and that's what we minted for Gene Roddenberry's 100th birthday, and the archive system itself, I took all of the render we've ever had, most of it we burnt when we switched to a new chain, and I'm like, well, this is like the seed function for the archives, you can't, you can't buy your trade or sell it, you can just add to it. So it is a little bit like it. Yeah, it's a not 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 for profit system where you can put your artwork in there, but you mm-hmm. can then point to that and make an NFT and say, "Well, this is my work in the metaverse or in this metaverse 
indexing system. That's what that M token was for. And that M token starts with like all of the work for, between Gene Roddenberry, Alex Ross, yes, even people. And all of that is, has this, each of these had their own Earth universes, narrative fictionally, where they interconnect, and they use the same system for the you know, gravitational constant of the universe or things that are related. And that's, that's kind of how, <laughs> that's, how that, that's what that token is there for. So you can start to build things and you can start to use assets. So for the Star Trek uh, you know, archive, we built like the entire solar system. We hired artists to do that. And we worked with NASA to get their entire star system in there so we can, we know where Vulcan is. Like Roddenberry picked a planet or a star system for that. The Federation's uh, light cone is only like 200 light years. It's not that far out. So, you know, you're in the Star Trek universe. You, you will go to warp and you'll see those stars correctly rendered because we're going to add that, you know, that, that entire system in there. But if you want to just have a star field that's correct uh, for your, your, your NFT, well, that, that, those assets are there in anything that you want to do. So that is where that M for Metaverse, you know, archive is for. It's, it's for this kind of artistic mm-hmm. ontology or organization, a little bit like IMDb or Wikipedia for the Metaverse. That's necessary. And I'm, I, I bet everything on, on, on sort of starting that system is a really fundamental piece that we could start and we could add important elements like the Roddenberry, you know, story of Star Trek and Alex Ross's Marvel and DC work um, and, and have that be a basis for other works to bridge and connect from people is like the first that's like wildly, you know, unique and native, I guess, to the crypto art world, but it could go from there. The people verse, yeah, the, the, uh, the site, uh, M dot X dot IO. Yeah. That's a placeholder. Is, really? Yeah. M is for, M is for metaverse. metaverse. The yeah. other thing that's interesting about that is I also signed it. So when we did the August, um, minting of that, it's, it was on Roddenberry's hundredth birthday and all that. There's a hundred million concept tokens, they're just there. You can use those virtually. So if you wanted to have, um, you know, if you wanted, for example, have like who won this, you know, the World Series and this thing, it's like those things are all there. All those concepts inside of the Octane node graph or the render node graph, that's where you can pull those in and you can add, and new ones will be added. Like we can just keep adding more and more every month. And they're not from Wikipedia, they're from Wikidata, which is a much more organized database. And we can add more elements in there. But with those pieces, you can have, instead of having a, a, ray, you know, a ray switch node, you can have a concept switch node. And concepts themselves can be used to determine how materials, textures, huh. your node graph works. And that's all in there as well. So you have planets, you have realities, you have fictional things all there. But more importantly, you also have a lot of different layers for creating dynamic NFTs and also things that are conceptually scalar functions or, or things that you can build and test and create, um, you know, essentially graphs around. And, and I think that's super cool. Man, y- y- y'all should hear some of the conversations that we have <laughs> off the air about Star Trek, Star Wars, Marvel. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fun. Um, I, I, there's a question that I wanted to hit up while we're talking about the metaverse. You, you had the render the metaverse competition a while back. Now mm-hmm. I feel like it has a whole new meaning. Uh, um, I, and the question is, do you have any plans to do that again? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that there is, I wouldn't even call it Render the Metaverse 2, because I feel like, like continuity-wise, everything that, everything that was rendered on Render the Metaverse in 2015, I think it was, it counts, and that is actually something we can put on chain. So we'll, we're going to start it up again, and I think what we want to do is we want to get the Solana pieces going, we want to get Metaplex going so that you have this, those pieces easily there, but it'll be different. Like before we had, you know, Facebook put up this money, and whoever won got the money, and I want to have something that's much more deeply tied to the metaverse and to render. And we will start render the metaverse again, probably sometime in the first half of next year. Uh, and I think it'll go on forever, is my vision. And there'll be ways for artists to continuously 
contribute to that. The M for Metaverse piece will be an option. It won't, you know, you can use that as well to build artwork and do things. Um, but I want to have something that really does benefit like the top 10,000 artists in our ecosystem um, and, and offer something pretty interesting as a system and not just a, a temporary contest. So Render the Metaverse will absolutely be back next year. Um, and it'll be metaverse, uh, truly metaverse ready now that the metaverse is much closer than it was back in 2014 and 2015 when we did mm-hmm. the first, uh, first round of the metaverse with Alex and Carmack and me as the judges. What do you think about, this is an interesting, interesting question, about streaming in the future? Because on, on something decentralized, I imagine that like, that's not really streaming compatible in that yeah. Way where do you where do you see streaming falling in in all of this so, and how would that so just work? Just be clear, you talking about live streaming for three D or live streaming of video? Well, I guess actually that could be anything yep. in this case, right? It could be live streaming, it could be three D stuff. So you know, I you did know. a tweet where I showed um, I think it was Gary Kim's uh, did an Unreal NFT and we're streaming that in a browser page, right? And that's that's an example of a live stream of something that is created art. Uh, I think that that streaming is fundamental to the metaverse piece because if you're experiencing something like I'll give the, the enterprise as an example we're going to have two modes where it's pre-computed as a light field or it's live and you can render it you know kind of in an offline way which is the maximum fidelity you know to, for viewing or for, for a holographic panel but the streaming piece is where I think it's it's fundamental to be able to visit these large data sets and I think that the live if you one of the reasons why we're picking Solana is that if you're changing something in that live stream that the whole world has to then accept as consensus reality, we need a blockchain where I'm not trying to do all the physics and everything on chain, but I need the finalization of those physics, the placement. If you're going to go into Kirk's room and move the coffee mug, which there is a coffee mug in his room, right? You know, one foot to the left, and you're the one that can do that, or you decided to, or you throw it at the wall. Like, I, there needs to be something that does that. And the streaming piece is where those interactions can happen. And I think for artists as well, like, there's a, there's a whole other area where I see you have a lot of Twitch streams for people playing games, and you have a lot of live streams for people doing and creating art. And one of the things I'd like to do with Render is have it so that as you're creating artwork, especially if we have the ability to load in, you know, Blender and Unreal, and if, even if your Cinema 4D scene can be, be in there, it's like having live collaborative work sessions where people are building these things together and recording that. That could be cool. Oh, I mean, man. Yeah. you know, that's something that's that feels like it's a pretty straightforward element. And Headless Render is a big part of that, too, because you can start mm-hmm. with any app that's locally. You don't even have to have it on the chain. But as long as that's a transmitter to the render network, Headlessly, the scene itself gets transmitted. It gets rendered on some node on, the, on chain. And, you know, all of that kind of works in, a, in this homogeneous way. And so that's where I see streaming of data, streaming of, of, of scenes, all those things come, in, come into play. We're in, a, we're in a sort of a high latency offline job world right now for render, and NFTs are sort of that way, and I think that things that are live streamed are still kind of like, well, this is an appified or you know, Unreal Engine game versus a persistent world that, that can be truly um, transformed persistently, although you do get that with Decentraland. I think our, our place in the metaverse is to provide a system where those things become straightforward for artists and creators and any renderer or any system that, that has is looking for some sort of consensus or open standards to build on. And I should say that Otoy and the render network itself, I mean, like, Orbex is an open standard. It's called ITMF. We submitted it to Cable Labs. We want to, you know, really make all the data itself be built on open specs. And that's why we were brought in the Arnold guys and others. We want to see there, there be standards for the metaverse. Yeah. It's so fundamentally important. Yeah. Ooh, anything else? <laughs> <sighs> Let's see. Uh, Anything else we want to talk about? No. I don't know about, uh, I don't know if you have any updates on Lightfield technology or anything. I know everybody's just, just yeah. curious when. So, 
It's going to be anything, mainstream. Yeah. You know? Anything new with the holographic yeah. stuff? Well, September, I, yeah. I, I don't think I did a show uh, you know, since this happened with you guys, right? But in September, CNET and, and the press yeah. were invited to Lightfield Labs to see the actual 20-inch display. Oh. Yeah, and so you guys, mm-hmm. anyone that wants to check it out, they should we should include a link maybe at the of the podcast where they can see the CNET yeah. hands-on, um, you know, experience with it. And oh. you know, is that the one with the yes, gecko or something gecko. in it? Is that, and, okay, and we are, yeah. by the way, testing the, the enterprise on there. So I can tell you that it takes 14 nice. cents to render it 720p <laughs> on the render network, but it's a thousand times more work to render that same enterprise for one frame to run on that light field display because it's a thousand times the number of rays. It's crazy. Yeah. So. Offline rendering, so real-time rendering keeps going into this, this, this sphere where probably what you can do now in Brigade is blows past even what you could probably render in offline renders 10 years ago, right? Even pre-Octane. And then we're at the, right. but you know, that, that doesn't mean that, 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 that we're done with, with, with offline rendering. We just have more things that can be offline rendered mm-hmm. at a higher fidelity, at a higher capacity. And, and so real-time and offline are both accelerating. Both will be supported by render, but holographic displays are particularly tough and tricky because they just require a ton more rays just to have a holographic standing white light hologram come out of that that emissive display. So yeah, a thousand X. It's it's crazy. It's ten gigapixels per square meter. Um, massive amount of GPU power just to get wow. a still frame. We're working on how to get it to run in real time, but it's probably going to be using a light field as an intermediate format to get even that to run. So it's still going to require render. And my hope is that those displays, now that they're real, like you'll probably see artists like Mike, your people, you know, do physical displays with those in there, museums, concerts, Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. As I said, that the enterprise we're building could yeah. be in the Smithsonian, more likely through a holographic display. Like they could, you know, if somebody was, were to fund that, um, they will get cheaper. They will be the cost of an OLED panel at some point, uh, probably in the 2030s, t- yeah. 10 years from now. And then everyone will have, one, have those maybe in, in their place of windows. So you don't have to put on a pair of glasses, which is still a hmm. point of friction for some people to experience the metaverse spatially, mm-hmm. yeah. which I think would be great. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I can't wait. <sighs> yes. A- anything else before we go? I think we've covered quite a bit, and I'm, I'm guessing you might have to use the restroom after <laughs> two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. we, we got to take a break. You yeah, didn't, I'm good. So. I'm good. I'm, I'm excited to hang out <laughs> on Saturday and Me talk too. more. Yes. Yeah, yeah that'd be, be fun. Yeah. I can't wait. <clears throat> Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, uh, uh, let's get out of the drop. If anyone yeah. uh, who's listening has a uh, an NFT that they're dropping, uh, shoot us an email, info at mograph.com, and we'll show it on the show. Drop. 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 Is this the fucking mic? Drop. This is exactly what I should be doing. Jules, thank Ooh. you so much. You, you, you make me so excited for the future every time I talk to you. Like yeah. it, 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 th- you always make the future look so positive, you know. True, and I can't, True. I can't, I can't wait to to live in your future. I, 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 yes. I, I can't wait either. I'm, I wake up every day very optimistic, seeing the potential, and frankly, I think there's there's some absolutely amazing potential in technology done right, and I think we've got every mm-hmm. opportunity to get there, and the world is 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 ripe for that. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I don't know about y'all, but I need a cigarette after that one. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to... Uh, let me go through these uh, ending notes here as fast as I can. You, you can rate us on iTunes, leave a review. You can also subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, check out our newsletter. Subscribe to that. You can say you've been there, done that, got the t-shirt with the MoGraph logo tee, the Paul Bab, Feel the Bab 2020 shirt. All the profits from that go to Doctors Without Borders. You got the Render Things t-shirt, hoodie, and long sleeve tee, the That Render is Fire shirt, which you're only allowed to wear ironically. 
unless you're, unless you're shams. shams. Check out that photo on our Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the MoGraph Blandishment shirt. And, of course, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, MoGraph.com, TikTok. Look at our TikToks there. And uh, next week, Billy Chitkin's going to be on. We're going to be talking about some of his new stuff. And we're yes. talking about uh, being safe uh, when, when doing crypto online and, and all that kind of stuff. A lot of crypto-heavy talk next week mm-hmm. as well. So uh, check us out. And that's that's all I got. Yeah. That's all I got. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome. I need a nap. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again. We, we really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, if people want to find you on the internet... Uh, how can they get a hold at of you? At Jules Rareback on Twitter, at Otoy on Twitter. Both of those are, are me. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, we're going to get out of here until next time. I'm Dave. And I'm Matt. Jules. Have a good one. <laughs> Later, yo. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Pretty good, I guess. MoGraph.com, an online resource for motion graphic artists. Start your week with the MoGraph podcast. Industry news, interviews with your favorite artists, and terrible humor. Watch live shows and interviews from MoGraph events like NAB, SeaGraph, HalfRes, and local meetups. Our MoGraph talks feature live demos and motivation from artists all around the world. Sometimes you got to make stuff that you're not going to put on your reel, and I'm not here to judge. What if Rick and Morty show up for the countdown at midnight? That's where I peaked in life, in my career. we got to stop this thing, Rick! It's going to kill us all! Hear from the people that create your software, design your render engines, and artists that are changing the face of modern motion graphics. You get that render done. Yeah, you better frame frame what? MoGraph tutorials and online classes will teach you about Cinema 4D, After Effects, as well as other popular software and render engines. Throw in the HDR Studio, take the render settings, pick the HDR, put a reflection, and gorgeous. Branch into new software. Learn time-saving tips, techniques, workflows, and lessons that'll keep you up to date in the world of motion design. Oh, brother, those are some of my favorite elves. I love projects that scare me. When our art director comes to us and asks for something that I had never done before, man, it gets me pumped. Join the conversation in our live sessions. Check out our plugins or join the hundreds of daily active users in our Slack channel for technical help, advice, contests, or just to joke around. Real nice banana. Ah, that's so funny. All right. I'm going to live forever. <laughs> Subscribe today and get the latest updates on our YouTube and other social media channels. Take all your dreams and just do it! We don't care how you get here, folks. Just get here. Subscribe to MoGraph.com.